Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. Listeners, stick around at the end of this episode for some bloopers and bonus content. Hey, 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 listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of violence, racism, genocide, rape, substance abuse, and death. So please be aware of that before you proceed. We also want you to be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers in this episode. So if that's something that you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and then come back to it in the future. If you don't plan on reading this book, then listen to this episode anyway. Let us summarize it for you, and then you can pretend you read it to impress your friends and family during the holidays. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> hey. Hey there. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what are we snacking on? I have some sour cream and cheddar chips, and I have a salsa, strawberry watermelon. And a coffee. Mm. A lot of things, actually. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have uh, the amaretto, same basic coffee, but I think amaretto has become my favorite. Yeah. It's so. one of my favorites, too. It's so tasty. It is. Yeah. What about you? What do you got? I have a Red Bull and some water, and I do have uh, some white cheddar popcorn for later. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. I'm still dying for that. For some white I've, cheddar pop. <laughs> yeah, I've been fiending smart pop. I need it. Yeah. I must have it. And I shall. I shall. <laughs> I shall have it. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another book of the month. Yeah. This is the book of the month in the same month as Thanksgiving. So this book is kind of appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So we will get into our thoughts. Uh, I cannot wait until I hear what Alex had to say because... I reread it again and also cried. So yeah. <laughs> we will yeah. we will get into that. <laughs> yeah, we talked this... earlier. She, as soon as we started the Zoom, she was like, I don't want to ask you anything yet, but did you love it? How did you feel about it? And I was like, it was good. I cried. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we will get into it. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Uh, otherwise, I know we started reading our holiday hopefuls, or at least you did. <laughs> I was still reading Iron yeah. Flame during that time. I started, I've been trying to get myself out of this book slump that Iron Flame has put me into. So I was like, oh, let me read just like a quick little romance holiday. It'll get me in the spirit. I did read Snowden and I liked it, but I've been trying to get into the the Christmas Orphans Club and Love Life Farms. And I just, I'm in a slump and I don't like it. I, I haven't felt this way in a while with books. So 
I'm hoping that I'll be able to get out of it the next few days. Is it like on par with the little mini slump that we had when we were reading Starts With Us? Hmm. Was that the no, little slump? I don't remember having a reading slump after It Starts With Us. I just remember not, I, I haven't really hated a book as much since then or felt so like disgruntled by a book since then. I don't know. I guess I did. it was like a mini slump, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I Colleen, just was angry. <laughs> Colleen Hoover and Rebecca Yaros is writing. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. We're still bitter, man. <laughs> I know. We're still well, bitter. Since we're actually talking about Colleen, do you have, I, I would say It Starts With Us was maybe my least favorite of the books that we read during this season one of Books With Cooks. Iron Flame would probably be my second to least favorite. But what was your favorite? My favorite book that we read so far this, this yeah. past. And uh, for, for, for anyone who doesn't remember, we read It Ends With Us, It Starts With Us. We read Fourth Wing, Happy Place, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Divine Rivals, The Housemaid, Pretty Girls, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, One Dark Window, Two Twisted Crowns, The Silent Patient, a lot of books, uh, Flicker in the Dark, (laughs) The Last House on Needless Street, Mary and Awakening of Terror, Belladonna, There There, and Iron Flame. So my favorite is obvious. It's probably your favorite too. Two Twisted Crowns. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my favorite also. I mean, tops that for me. One, I, one dark window and two twisted crowns, just as a whole. The yeah, whole, the whole duology. series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole series. I just, I'm still awestruck by. Yeah, yeah. We love you, Rachel Gillick. I know. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> yeah, that's that is definitely a highlight. I, I would say those were some of my favorite books that I read this year in general. Yeah. Aside from just on the podcast, I just love them. I can't wait to read more of her. I'm like, yeah, same. Can't wait for her to write more books. <laughs> but but I'm very hopeful for next season. There's a lot of books yeah. that we're going to read that we've been excited and looking forward to reading. Yeah. We just didn't have time to read them on this season. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited to catch up on some series that you love and <laughs> to just chat about them. So, yay, yeah, season two. It's definitely, I mean, it's going to be nice. It's going to be a good run, I think. Yeah, I'm excited so for far. I'm definitely excited for season two. We're we're already changing our minds about books, um, yeah. <laughs> book orders. So we won't give you the exact order yet. No, but don't worry. Not. <laughs> Assassin's Blade is set. Yeah, <laughs> but everything else is like we keep up, up for changing. debate. Yeah, <laughs> only because there's so many books that we want to read, and we can't decide how to prioritize them. Sometimes we're like, yes, definitely this one, and then we'll be like, oh, but we also really want this one. Which one are we gonna have to bump? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so sad. It's just not enough, uh, not enough space. Um... <laughs> and then at one point too, I I thought to myself, I was like, well, maybe we should do, you know, like one book every two weeks instead, mm. and like you know, break up the book so it'll be me and you will be lost. We'll be like, yeah. but we want to read more books. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. think for like, I think for for a fantasy series exactly like how we did iron flame i think we should split up like that it's easier to mm-hmm. process it's heavy there's a lot of information yeah. so i think when we do do our do do <laughs> when <laughs> we do <laughs> read our um our series fantasy series i think they sh- that we should split them up like we did iron flame i think that works out and it works yeah. for us because we can st- you know stick some extra books in there for ourselves <laughs> for yeah yeah 
And that helps to prevent these book slumps too, when you can just read a book for fun and not worry about it too much. That yeah. I, that'll help. I yeah, think. like you could just read, you know, getting stuffed by the weird turkey or yeah. <laughs> no, thank unhinged you. <laughs> or unhinged with like 14 pages, you know, just a quick get at, get yourself out of a book slump. Because <laughs> we still don't know who's reading those. No. If you don't know who it was talking about, please. Tune in uh, tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow because you will. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, one word, unhinged. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Oh, but man. yeah, this has been, uh, I can't believe how fast this season went. Mm -hmm. Three months really flew. Yeah, it really did. And at, at the same time, Holidays I also can't already. believe it's only been three months. It also sometimes feels like we've been doing this forever, and yet it's new still. Well, so it's this, crazy. This episode in particular is the 38th episode of ours. I know. I That's mean, crazy. yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that we've come so far in such a, a short amount of time, and I'm proud of us. Yeah, me too. And it's been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope you guys love the uh, information and all of the content that we give you guys. We're going to be bringing some of your old faves back in the season two. And we're definitely going to probably be introducing some more stuff, too. So stay tuned for all of that goodies Yeah, in 2024. Ugh, I can't believe it's going to be 2024. I know. I was writing something for work earlier today. And I was writing a date. And I accidentally wrote... 11 28 32 instead of 23 Ew, yeah. please don't. and i was like oh my god that's insane and then i was like that's only nine years from now almost less almost less isn't that insane no isn't i don't want any part of weird? that fast forward mark because i yeah. want to i want to grasp onto those nine know. years <laughs> and then i started to spiral in my brain and i was like when I'm old and I have grandchildren. I'm going to be that like old person that's like, I remember when it turned 2000, you know, and they're going to be like, that was forever ago, you ancient old no, bag. They're like going to be like, my mom was born in 2000. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, seriously. Somebody on TikTok the other day, I was passing through and they, they were stitching it. And if you don't know TikTok, stitching just means that you take someone else's video and you add your own information afterwards. And the girl, said oh there's so many old people on here and people that were born you know like before 2010 and i'm like whoa <laughs> 2010 what the hell are you talking about oh my favorite was when i saw somebody that was like oh were you born in the late 1900s and i was like <laughs> yeah but i would never fucking phrase it that way you psychopath jesus christ <laughs> talk about it being a little asshole really come on Just rude how rude <laughs> the late right? 1900s shout Go. out to Shout out to Full House. How rude. How rude. If you don't know what Full House is, then you're in this club that we talk of. No, they all know who Full, what they all know what Full House is because all their parents are our age and they have shown it to them or they had that new season or oh, yeah, whatever it was that came mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. I know even Full, Dana's daughter House. knows House. about Full House. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't know about when you were younger, younger and you went to like, let's say I went to it's me it's me that i'm talking about <laughs> uh, i went to uh baseball card shows with grandpa and okay. i didn't care about baseball cards i was just walking around and all of a sudden there was a table that had cards on it with full house people and i was like i want that <laughs> really for what? For what purpose i had them he that's got them weird. for me that's really and i remember weird. like looking through them and being like there's all the faces i know i was six <laughs> or something one day that's i'm so gonna weird. find the box and it's yeah. just gonna have them in there and I'm going to be like, what What am I going to do with these? That's hilarious if you even still have them. I probably don't. But if I do, that's amazing. 
also everywhere you look is a place somebody who needs you (laughs) and to hold on to oh i love it Uh, when you lost out there all right we are old (laughs) all right you get it also that song's amazing and i would say it's in the top five at least of best theme songs for a show of all time Hmm. okay right what would you say is up there in that list can you think of one off the top of your head yeah I, I really like the Gilmore Girls one I sing it every time it comes on and I also really liked the one from Supernatural it was uh now I, I can't think of one. the name of the song it was I'm pretty sure it was that Kansas song uh you would know it if you heard it but it was good we're doing like an unofficial countdown on one like top five here because you know what else has to go in there the Friends one obviously it's iconic Friends one was good it's iconic everybody knows it I really liked the Veronica Mars theme song too. That one I don't know, but that I keep really thinking good. of step by step. <laughs> by day. And the Fresh Prince. Uh, oh, Fresh Bel-Air Prince. Yeah. Might be number one or two. Yeah. That is the most epic. That definitely has to be up in there. In West Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. Fun fact about that song uh, I read somewhere that if you're not putting your fate, this is so random, but this is how I work. Uh, <laughs> If you're putting your face wash on and you're not doing it for at least 60 seconds, it's not doing its thing. Hmm. So they said to count uh, or sing a song, rather, like a hook of a song that you know is 60 seconds long. And they gave a list of them. And Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song was one of them. So every time I do my face, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> on the playground is where I spend most of my days chilling out back. So that's so cool, like, you know. I usually count to 30. I didn't know it had to be 60. Damn. I thought it was just 60. 30 seconds. No, it's 60. And another one, so you know, it's a song you like, is Toxic from Britney. Sometimes I switch mm. it up. Just the nice. part, the the hook. So yeah. now, you know, now you know. All right, guys, pick your favorite theme song. This is what you get out of this conversation while you're <laughs> washing your face. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> we went on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into our monthly horoscopes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We had a good conversation. <laughs> As usual, for our Book of the Month episode, we like to start out with monthly horoscopes to see what's in store for everyone this December. And we got these from a website called Chatelaine, C-H-A-T-E-L-A-I-N-E dot com slash living slash December dash 2023. And we will put this link in our show notes for anyone that would like more information. We're also going to assign each sign a personalized holiday cookie and a new year's cocktail to get everyone ready to kick off the holidays books with cook style so let's get started with our own personal signs you guys may recall that i am a taurus and alex is a pisces so let's start off with my fellow tauruses so tauruses in the rhythm of life honor the potency of silent progress Not every step needs public acknowledgement to be considered real and true and cherish truths nestled within your heart. Not all require unveiling to the wider world. The objective, evolving and transcending limiting belief structures. Welcome this phase of personal growth and expansion as you shed the constraints of old worldviews. Some of the most profound transformations occur quietly. Move in silence. Taurus is your cookie of the month is a rainbow cookie and your drink of the month for new year's eve is a chocolate martini yum all right where my pisces at 
Pisces in December, this is your time to be brave and be seen. Have the audacity to express yourself and share your thoughts in a more public way. Support the communities that mirror your values. Get ready to feel inspired in new ways as you welcome different approaches to creativity. Remember, you actively shape your legacy. Embrace this moment with courage, inspiration, and purpose. Pisces, your cookie, one of my favorites, fig cookies. And your drank, some spiked eggnog. Yum, 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 all around. All right, where my Capricorns? Capricorns, amid the extroverted buzz of December, embrace the beauty of solitude. Sometimes the greatest gift is the space to rediscover your center. Allow yourself ample moments of meaningful hermit time, a refuge from the whirlwind outside. It's a chance to regroup, to reflect, and to gather the strength needed for what lies ahead. Let this quiet time be a beacon, guiding you toward deeper understanding and renewed resilience. Capricorn, your cookies are butter cookies, yum, and your drink is Bailey's and cream. So enjoy. All right, Aquarius. As December unfolds, expect a flurry of social engagements. Yet, as the year's end approaches, a desire for quieter surroundings may emerge. Seize this time to reflect. Anticipate new community collaborations that are aligned with your values and beliefs. Conclude pending tasks and work projects, clearing the path for fresh beginnings. Embrace this transition, harmonizing introspection with eagerness, heralding a phase of renewed aspirations and meaningful connections. Your cookie is a sugar cookie, and your drink is champagne, because you classy. Share that with us. <laughs> All right, Aries. In December, expand your worldview through learning. Embrace this season of education and the importance of using your platform in your corner of the world, no matter how small or big. It's important that you show who you are as authentically as possible. But remember to prepare with intention, ensuring each word carries thought and purpose. Hastily or hastily, spoken words may need to be corrected later on. Your cookies are Anazette cookies, yum, and your drink amaretto sour that might be one of my favorite combinations <laughs> sounds good yeah all right gemini's all of life is relationships despite the heavy focus on individualism in society it is your connections that weave the fabric of your life's purpose december urges you to prioritize the people who are most important to you share your burdens with trusted beloveds who are capable of sharing and perhaps lightening your load some work may lose its luster Focus instead on nurturing bonds that matter. Seek solace in the presence of those who offer care and love. Your cookies, Mexican wedding balls, and your drink, a glass of white wine. All right, Cancers. It's always ideal when purpose harmonizes with play. But responsibilities may clash with the demands of your personal relationships this month ahead. Find equilibrium by using your time wisely. Set aside moments for both honoring only the important obligations while nurturing relationships. As you navigate this busy time, remember, it's in this balance that the melody of your life resonates, creating harmony between duty and cherished connections. Your cookie, chocolate snowballs. Your drink, warm spiked cider. Sounds so cozy. Mm -hmm. All right, Leos. 
December is a whirlwind of joy and responsibility. Amid the hustle, find solace in a creative outlet and recharge your tired body. Look ahead too and feel the winds of change. You're rounding a corner, whether it's in a personal, career, or other kind of journey. Keep moving forward. Balancing pleasure and commitments isn't easy, but by grounding yourself, you'll discover the strength to navigate this hectic season, ensuring your well-being and progress remain steadfast. Your cookie that you'll be nomming on, some ginger snaps, and you'll be sipping on a Manhattan. Virgos! In early December, a tranquil vibe will envelope and draw you homeward. Embrace this introspective phase and nurture your need for quiet time. As the month progresses, a creative flame will spark and grow, inviting more exploration and innovation. You might notice shifts or outgrow what was once familiar. Remember that evolution is part of the natural flow of life. Your cookies, fingerprint cookies with raspberry jam, and you can drink that with some vodka cranberry. Mm. All righty, my Libra, Libra, Libras. Take the time to empower your corner of the world to counteract any helplessness you're experiencing. Resist despair by connecting with others. Isolation often makes your problems seem bigger than they are. Cherish home moments for anchoring your spirit. And remember that evolving beliefs are natural. You're human and you're allowed to change your mind. Lean into your passion and support local actions in your communities to contribute to the fabric of change. And while you do that, Scoop up some walnut teacup cookies and a hot toddy to go with them. Where my Scorpios at? Hey, Scorpios, you may be going through some growing pains. Sorry about that. Access your resources now and understand your capacity for anything beyond your daily requirement for survival. Right now, it's important that you find the precise words to express yourself. Find the exact language to convey your genuine intentions. In this juncture of change, clarity becomes the beacon. Why don't you eat some chocolate chip cookies, a classic, while drinking some red Merlot? All right, finally, we have our Sagittariuses. For you guys, focus on tending to your needs so you can be more available to others and the causes that you truly care about. You cannot help water the collective garden from an empty well. Take stock of the resources at your disposal your strength, skills, and support network. Understands that making mistakes is part of progress. Learn from them and use those lessons to propel yourself forward. Be kind to yourself in these moments. They're opportunities to grow. Sagittarius, get some meringue cookies and get a white Russian because you're going to be relaxing under the Christmas tree with your goodies. Hell yeah! <laughs> For this Book of the Month episode, we're going to borrow a game from our potty sods. We're going to play a food-related rapid-fire round. Alex, what's that round? Things you should not wrap as gifts. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get interesting. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put on my clock two minutes in three, two, one. What are we not wrapping as gifts? Go. Tits and dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Animals, please don't yes. do that. I was just going to say that live animals, yes. also not dead animals either. Yes, please don't do any of that. Don't wrap jello. Nobody wants to, <laughs> to open that shit. <laughs> any type of weapon, maybe don't wrap it. Yeah, that shit can go really wrong quick. Yeah. All right. Maybe don't wrap another box inside of a box inside of a box because I hate that shit. Don't do that. Okay. 
when it's like, oh, but it's a little tiny thing inside. That's not cute. Don't do it. Don't wrap an Amazon box in wrapping paper and then have them open it and then have to open the Amazon box. I also hate that. Yes. I do hate that. Because you need uh, a scissor. All right, I'm done. <laughs> don't wrap poop in a plate or piss in a cup. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Oh, my God. That is so gross. I know. Don't wrap an empty box. That's just mean. That's yeah. cruel. Oh, but I farted in it. No, too, too <laughs> bad, dude. Don't do it. Also, don't wrap any of the books that we mentioned in another episode or, you know, in the things who who's reading those because they won't be reading those. <laughs> the recipient won't like them. Don't collect your leaves in the backyard and then wrap them up and give them as a gift. That's just rude. That's wild. <laughs> you need to get rid of them, I know, but don't give them as a gift. Also, give them a, as a gift to the trees because they need mulch. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. Don't give someone a clock. Okay. They know what time it is. They don't need a clock. All right. But we do because our time's up. Oh, okay. That went really fast. That was fast. That's not fair. I feel like there should be this way more stuff like exercise things, you know, like don't put exercise shit in a box. That's really messed up, man. Or like pimple cream. People do that. Okay. <laughs> that shit is wrong, dude. That's all. No, I wouldn't want any of those things. No, I could go on forever. There was like so many more options, but it's too late. A gift for your special sitting of the town. Take a look inside. Is my in a box? So before we discuss this book, let's go over the reviews for There There. We picked our favorite good and bad reviews in case anyone is on the fence about reading it. There There currently has an overall rating of 4 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 4.3 on Amazon with a publication date of May 7th, 2019. Jess, let's do those bad reviews first. So the one star review I chose says, I realize I'm in the minority here with my one star review. I only read this book because it had so many votes in the Goodreads Choice Awards contest for fiction. It started off okay, with lots of characters whose lives would eventually intertwine, but it ended abruptly with no real answers or meaning. And there are people absolutely yelling at this person in the comments, telling them, I'll be curious what you think after reading it. Okay. Yeah. Imagine reading a book you didn't even read. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, do you have a life? The whole point? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll All right. I also have a one-star review. This person gave a one-star, but then said that they did not finish it. And they said, this was just poorly written. The characters weren't engaging and the story was sloppy. I'm astounded about all the five-star reviews. I suspect the subject matter makes the readers too forgiving here. As if admitting you didn't like a book about the modern Native American struggle would mean you don't care about the subject either. That's just silly. This is a work of fiction. And I think readers should be brave enough to review honestly, delicate topic or not. I will give my honest opinion. I would love to read a good book about this topic, which is the reason I picked this up in the first place. But unfortunately, this one wasn't it. DNF. Wow. I mean, really? Also, you didn't even finish you, it, bro. You didn't finish it. You know, maybe there's something groundbreaking in the end or in the whole book at all. I don't know. I don't know. That I, person I just people. sounds angry for no reason. I know. One person, um, there was another one star review and basically they were like i dnf'd it at eight percent bro you didn't mm -hmm. read it I you barely know. yeah really 
I think people can't get past the prologue because it's intense. But come on, you knew what the subject matter was. You should know. Uh, forget it. That uh, it's going to be intense, but whatever. Whatever. Meh. All right. Well, let's move on to the good reviews. What you got? All right. So this person gave a five star and they said, before I even finished reading this, I began hoping that Tommy Orange was already working on his next book. Beautifully written, creatively and skillfully structured with the stories of multiple characters, each one important and affecting their own. But when meshed with connections that unfold, I was blown away. For a short time, these narratives seem like individual stories until one by one, the characters become connected and their collective story is brutal, honest, and sad and powerful. I will be at the powwow in Oakland. That family will be reunited with family, that some of them will face their demons and some of them will find out who they are and most of them become part of the tragedy that takes place there. It's a little confusing, but we got the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I also chose a five star. And first they open with a quote from the book. Life will do its best to get at you. Sneak up from behind and shatter you into tiny, unrecognizable pieces. You have to be ready to pick everything up pragmatically. Keep your head down and make it work. Tommy Orange is there there is simply amazing. Yes, it's heartbreaking, but Orange's multi-generational story of the urban Native American experience is unforgettable. There are 12 distinct voices shaping the story, but they all resonate and feel bound together and drive the narrative forward. Far from confusing the story, each voice adds depth, grief, history, and hope. There is also a certain rhythm to these interweaving stories that made this a difficult book to put down. You want to get to the end, even though you know things aren't likely to end well. A fantastic book. Highly recommend. Nice. I also, I really like that quote. <laughs> so I picked yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah, I got to disagree. I really like Tommy Orange's writing. So. Yeah, I like it too. All right. So we've heard what other people have to say. Now here's our back flaps. Chess, you want to start us off? <laughs> sure. Okay. There There is a thought-provoking novel everyone should read here, there, and everywhere. Jess and Alex. Tommy Orange delivers an accurate account of the aftermath of natives in Oakland, America. Jess and Alex. There is no there there, but there is a there in this book, and you should read it there. You know, where you are. Jess and Alex. <laughs> Orange gives you a vivid picture of what it's like for natives living in the modern world and the after effects of post-colonization. Jess and Alex. There is a lot of there in this book, Jess and Alex. There may no longer be there, but there is this book, <laughs> Jess and Alex. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> but there it is. Whoop. There. There. It is. No. <laughs> Jess and Alex. Yeah. <laughs> You can feel the struggles of each character leap off each page to prance all around you like your own personal thought-provoking powwow, <laughs> Jess and Alex. There, there. Orange went there. So I read it here and imagined the there, there, Jess and Alex. <laughs> oh, and there, and there, you have it. <laughs> All right, everyone. So first things first, let's tell you why we chose this book. Jess had already read this book and she highly recommended it. Oh, yeah. I was like, 
bitch. Read that. And so I did. And now we shall share it with you all. All right. Well, let's give you a plot synopsis so that everyone knows what this book is about. There There explores the lives of several residents of Oakland who connect with one another in some way through different native ancestries. Each character faces many struggles in the aftermath of history lost from post-colonization and culture deprived through assimilation. While each character attempts to survive as a native in a modern world and battle personal obstacles, they all share a common thread of celebrating the native culture they desperately crave and cling to, yet have been estranged from at this year's upcoming Oakland powwow. All right, let's tell you a little bit about the author. There There was Tommy Orange's debut novel and earned him the Pulitzer Prize for his work, a prestigious award, if you don't know, handed to literary works considered to be, quote, masterpieces. Tommy Orange is an American novelist and writer from Oakland, California. Orange also received the 2019 American Book Award for this novel. He's a citizen of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma and a graduate of the MFA program at the Institute of American Indian Arts. His second novel, Wandering Stars, is set to be released next year in 2024. In his early 20s, a job at a bookstore led Orange to discover his passion for reading and writing. The idea for a novel told in many voices and centered around a powwow, which is a Native American social gathering set in Oakland, came to Orange in 2010 when he was in his late 20s. He currently teaches creative writing at the Institute of American Indian Arts. You said that. Ain't nothing but a thing. Wait, 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 but you said bitch, though. Yep. All righty. So now it's time for our discussy scush about there, there. Alex, before we even get started on this, because I've been burning, burning to ask you, how'd you feel about the book, man? You know, did you learn anything? Did you like it? <laughs> Give me the yeah. Piece. I really liked this book. I thought it was really well written. I felt really connected to the characters and the story. I felt emotional at the end. I cried and I just thought it was really well done. It, it was a really sad and heavy story. It, I wouldn't say it was necessarily an enjoyable read because it, it felt very sad the whole time, but I liked it a lot. I thought you might. And I'm glad that you said that because there were some people in the reviews that I just don't get. And I mean, we do give you the reviews earlier, what they were saying, but a lot of people weren't even reading as far as I was concerned. They were DNFing at eight at eight percent. They weren't I guess they didn't want to accept the information or process it. They didn't want to they didn't want to be told, I felt like. So they just closed the book and moved on. I think so. This book, for anybody who hasn't read it, is told untraditionally. So it is told through the perspective of 12 different narrators and I think maybe there might be some people that that just doesn't work for, that they had maybe difficulty discerning the actual story and the whole point of the novel for that reason. Maybe mm. they had difficulty connecting to the characters because of it. Personally, I thought that it was really effective. And I really yeah. like, I, I like that he chose to do it this way. And I like the reason that he chose to do it this way as well, or at least what my perception of you know, his his reasons for that. Yeah. All right. So let's um let's talk about the heaviness of that prologue first. <laughs> yeah. So the prologue basically gives you a breakdown of the history of Native Americans and their history with the Europeans that came over and basically took the land from them. It does give you details about what really happened at that first quote unquote Thanksgiving 
and the purpose behind it. This was a really heavy, heavy way to open the book up, but I I really liked the way that he opened this book up with this prologue. What what were your thoughts on it? I loved it. Uh, he didn't hold back. He he yeah. was brutal, but brutally honest, and that's what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that laid out for you so that you understand why he's writing it the way he is, and it makes it more impactful. I think. Yeah. Because now you know you're actually paying attention. You're getting a history lesson in the way that it's not usually taught, and mm-hmm. I really like that. And it's coming from a descendant, so it's more impactful that way too because you know that he's so passionate about it that and it, yeah. honestly like i know we're going to talk about his writing later but the passion that came through his project you read it on every page yeah i really liked that he opened the book up this way i think that it was important to remind the reader of the history of the native american culture and what has been done to them and i think that this idea of generational trauma plays an important role throughout the book and you can't you can't really understand that fully without really understanding the past. So I really like, I mean, obviously it's a very condensed version of their history. There's a lot more to it. However, it's very honest and it's very to the point and direct and saying, hey, don't forget that this is what has happened and don't let these commercialized ideas about Thanksgiving and, you know, the other way is that you know, history has chosen to portray the relationship between the early settlers and the Native Americans. Don't necessarily take that at face value. Look at the real stories, talk to the Native Americans and get the history for yourself because what you're taught isn't always necessarily what was really, what really happened. Right. In most cases it wasn't, or at least it's glossed over. It grounds you to prepare you for what, what you're reading and why you're reading it. So in other words, it's letting you know, hey, this might be a book of fiction, but it's kind of real. These things really happen. These real these people might be fictional characters, but ca- people like them exist. Um, and I think that's why it makes it more impactful. Plus, I love how he opens up with quotes, especially this one in the prologue. Um, he, he puts a quote in here and it says, in the dark times, will there also be singing? Mm-hmm. Yes, there will also be singing about the dark times. I love that. There yeah. are so many quotes that I could pull out of this book that are fabulous. So what are your general thoughts on the characters? We'll get into the depth of each character individually, Mm -hmm. um, but who was your least and and favorite? And did you think they were all overall well-developed? Yeah, I thought each of these characters was very well-developed. And speaking to Tommy Orange's writing, having 12 narrators, but each one is very distinctive to the point where you can kind of tell which one was which, is is very difficult to do and i thought he did a masterful job i each of these characters felt very real each of them had their own voice and their own tale and i thought that tommy orange did a really really great job of putting that into this book in terms of the characters themselves my favorite i think was a toss-up between jackie and opal they were sisters or half sisters so i think it made sense that i liked them both but i just i really enjoyed their characters that being said, I, I liked all of the characters, even the ones that we might see as maybe villainous or quote unquote, the bad guys in this book. I didn't hate them. Yeah. And I felt that they were all really complex. I thought that they all had a lot of shades of gray to them. So there was nobody in this book that I was like, oh, this person is so, so good. And this person is so, so bad. They all had their flaws and their strengths. And so I don't really know who was my least favorite because I really had an appreciation for all of them. 
And I don't think I can choose. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't say it better myself. <laughs> I, I agree with you, though. I really love the sisters. I, I have yeah. love for those sisters, uh, especially our Opal. Jackie went through so much, too. And I just I feel for those girls or women now. They're older women now. I also have a soft spot for Edwin. I have a soft spot. Believe it or not, I found compassion for Octavio. And we're going to mm -hmm. talk about him. He's a gangster on the outside, but on the inside, he loves his grandma. You know, he's like a family man. It's weird. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of, there was a lot of layers to these people. If mm -hmm. I had to pick a least favorite, I have to tell you the same as Alex. I, I feel the same way where I don't have a least favorite as of the narrators, um, the voices that we hear. But I do, I do not like Harvey <laughs> that much. Uh, mm -hmm. I understand he, he, he comes to a little bit at the end. There's different versions of him that you meet throughout the story as with all these characters because sometimes like as with I think we like Opal and Jackie the most because we know them from when they're younger to when they're older I just so, liked that they were both kind of sassy they are yeah I, I found them funny I, I felt moments of humor with them even when it was very serious there was just something about them that I connected to well let's let's get into the characters so first up we're gonna go in order that they're introduced First up is Tony Lohman. Really quick, Tony Lohman is, uh, he calls himself saying he has something called the Drome. His mom, when he was, when she was pregnant with him, she uh, was drinking alcohol and it messed him up um, physically. He's, I don't know if he's physically deformed, but his face, he, people think of him as like a monster. It's really sad. Uh, there was a lot of things that when he's speaking, um, I noted where he can only look at himself in a TV. He doesn't have a mirror. Um, he can only look at his TV reflection when he's looking at himself. And it's interesting because he does so at the end of the first chapter, he does so in regalia. And it's symbolic of him seeing himself and his culture on TV. And I just thought that that was so well written, that whole scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to mention that. But he, um, you know, he is, he fell into the wrong group and he's being kind of used uh, to, he's very straightforward with this fact that he's going to be supplying in a sock bullets um, at a powwow coming up. So go into, what, what did you think um, of him, his character and the events? Mm -hmm. I liked his character. I felt very bad for Tony. He seemed like a sad soul. Yeah. So as just, as you mentioned, he was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. He calls it the drome and it did call phys it cause physical deformations, particularly to his face. And he also scores really low on intelligent tests. So he always considered himself to be dumb. He, I think had a really interesting arc in this story. So initially when we first meet him, we see him grappling with this idea of trying to connect these two pieces of himself and that's how he feels about himself as within his own head versus how he is perceived by the rest of the world he talks about how physically he's very intimidating looking people find him threatening and scary and yet he does he's not sure if that's who he really is or if he's really gifted and special like his grandmother tells him or if he's really intelligent in some ways like he thinks he is at times because he's able to connect to these lyrics by his favorite rap artist. He's able to really understand him. So this idea of struggling with his self-identity and then being used by, you know, the gangsters in the story to perpetuate violence, 
I think specifically because of his stature, I thought was a really interesting character arc. I also really liked that by the end of the novel, he takes a stand and he says, I'm not going to participate in this. And then he actually ends up protecting others by taking out these people that he had considered to be, if not friends, at the very least, peers, associates, people that he had been somewhat close to in the sense that they sold drugs together and worked together in that sense. So it was nice to see him having that redemption. Whereas, you know, at the beginning of the novel, it's kind of leading up to this idea that he's going to be a player in these evil acts, and yet he turns it around. I really enjoyed that. And I just really liked like I said, this idea of reading about somebody that is conflicted about who they are as a person, cultural identity aside. And I, I really enjoyed his character and his point of view in the story. Me too. I, I kept, I couldn't help but feel sorry for him. Yeah. And I think that his defamation and his struggle is symbolic. I think Orange, using that whole, everything has a meaning with Orange's writing, it seems. So mm-hmm. the TV reflection, I think that him seeing himself distorted is symbolic of, uh, you know, the distortion that you see on TV when it represents their culture. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, not even their culture as much, uh, their culture, yes, but also their history. Uh, and I think that he threw that in there, having a television rather than a mirror, because I think it's multi-layered symbolism. And also the mother drinking just also symbolizes you know, hardship and after effect. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of that in this book. A lot of characters have um, substance abuse issues or they're children of substance abuse issue parents. All right. So then the next character we see is Dean Oxendine. So he is a film student, or I, I don't know if he's a student anymore, but he was at one point and he had just had an interaction with his uncle who was dying, who said, hey, I have this idea about a project that I started working on about collecting these voices of modern urban Indians, not Native Americans that are living on reservations, but that are living in the cities and what their stories are like and how they connect to their heritage. And Dean decides to take on this project. He goes and provides a proposal and ends up getting a grant so that he can actually bring this project to fruition. And I believe Tommy Orange indicates that this character was kind of a stand-in for him. He is of mixed descent, so he is part white, part native, just like Tommy Orange. And this idea of collecting the different narratives is what Tommy Orange was doing in this novel and it's portrayed then again within the novel in the form of these projects. What were your thoughts on this character and his point of view and and his storyline? I think that Tommy Orange throws so much information in Dean Oxidine's character. Like he alludes to so many things that have to do with natives and it's very impactful. It was impactful for me reading Dean Oxidine's part because for number one, if you really pick apart little things, like he goes up a dead escalator. A dead escalator can symbolize a lot of things like they're not moving up. There's no progression, or at least that's how they feel, you know. And then there's this a scene where he's sitting with his uncle and his uncle's telling him about this movie idea that sounds a lot, a hell of a lot like colonization. Uh, And I just thought that that was impactful. And, you know, there's a lot of things, too. While he was sitting, like Alex said, waiting to go into this panel of judges who were going to give him a grant so that he can continue his uncle's project to film people just talking about stories about natives which 
was very interesting. While he's sitting there, they um, he's, he meets somebody else and the other person says something that kind of triggers him a little bit and says something along the lines of dirt cheap. And he didn't like that because, um, you know, he gets not offended by it, but he just feels like he sees that phrase differently than others may um, because it impacts him that he can't literally go to a there there situation. He even says this. There's a, a Gertrude Stein quote um, there is no there there because her childhood home is no longer there. And as far as he's concerned, there is no there there for his history and culture because it's been completely built over and colonized. Um, so I just thought that that was interesting. I also loved the shout out to there there Radiohead because I like yeah. Radiohead. <laughs> uh, that's a good song. It and, is. <laughs> and I really liked that thrown in there. Dean Oxidine had everything that had to do with the title. And I really liked that. It came quicker than you would usually expect the title to come to um you know full circle so I, I appreciated that um and then the last thing i wanted to mention is that there's a lot of talk about guns and violence in this book and they all have symbolic meaning um but the one thing that i thought was really interesting was he inherits his uncle's camera and the camera has a pistol grip and it goes to show that not only does a gun shoot but a camera shoots too and there's two ways that you could shoot um and capture history or whatever the case may be so I just thought that that was pretty interesting. Uh, and he does use that later when he's at the powwow, when he is interviewing people. He it does use his uncle's his uncle's camera. And it was very impactful, too, when his uncle dies and he was watching his mother cry with the camera as if it was his uncle's eyes. And and plus, not to mention, sorry, last thing, I promise, not to mention that um, Dean also used to have a tag name that was called Lens. I thought that that was pretty interesting. He said he used to put it in places where he felt like he could look out from. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of, within Dean that I found uh, compelling, I guess you could say. Yeah, I really liked Dean's character. I liked the idea of the author putting a stand-in in the novel for himself because he does relate to the culture. Uh, you know, he is part of this culture and his story is just as important as everyone else's. And I really liked the idea that Tommy Orange was weaving into this story in the form of the different narrations, which is that there is no generalization of a culture. Culture is a, an accumulation of individual nuanced stories. And I think that that whole concept is then cemented in there with Dean Oxendine's film project, which is that we need to be able to tell our story, but our story isn't told from one voice. It is the chorus of many voices. And I really liked that inclusion in this novel. I also, there's another theme throughout the novel about remembering your history and being able to pass those stories down and that without our stories, our culture no longer exists. We need to keep these stories going in order to remain alive. I think one of the characters says something along the, those lines at some point. And I think that that was his goal. I also really liked at the end when they're at the powwow, he's in his tent that he set up to record stories. And he ends up being saved by a stray bullet from a stray bullet by this tent that he set up. And I think that that was symbolic in the sense that he's actively pursuing this knowledge. He's actively pursuing this idea of collecting stories to then spread to the masses and that he was protected by that. His culture was protected by it. So I really liked that little inclusion that was in there. And overall, I thought that he was a strong character. And there were really no characters in this book that I didn't enjoy, but he he was one of my favorites. Yeah, I think Dean's purpose was to preserve. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why he's spared later. All right. So next up, one of our faves, Opal 
Viola, Victoria, <laughs> Bear Shields. Tell me what you thought. Well, I really liked Opal's character. She was tough and, you know, she had been through a lot, a lot in her life. She had witnessed a lot. She grew up during the Native American occupation of the island Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. And she, she just went through a lot with her sister. Her mother died of cancer when she was young. She ended up being raised by her uncle who then it's insinuated that she, he attempts to rape her sister she ends up hitting him over the head with a bat and for years she questions whether she had killed him or not by the end we we discover at some point that she hadn't he's still alive she feels conflicted about this she's happy she didn't kill him but she's not happy he's alive yeah. and i i liked seeing within opal this idea of empathy so she was really tough but she also was really compassionate and she really cared about others she ends up taking in these three boys they are the grandchildren of her sister their mother had been addicted to drugs she ended up committing suicide her sister jackie was not able to take them in because she had addiction issues of her own with alcohol so she takes these boys in but she also in my opinion, is very jaded. So she has seen a lot of the atrocities that can happen to Native people in America. And she believes that in order to protect yourself, you need to distance yourself from your, your Native heritage. So she instills that in these boys. But she also grapples with this idea that it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy that by distancing yourself from the culture, you're then continuing to set them up for failure because they're at a loss for who they are. They're confused and they're never able to belong to any one community because they they don't know where to go because they keep trying to hide it. I liked that she was kind of superstitious in the book. I thought that that was just kind of like a funny little antidote. I really liked the thing with her teddy bear, which I'll talk yes. about later when we talk about themes. But I, I liked that inclusion in this book. And overall, I just felt that she was a really strong, tough woman. And I liked the direction that her character went. However, I did feel like with most of these characters that she was kind of a sad soul. And I, I do think that she was very resilient, but just sad. Yeah, I love her. I, I think she is a badass. I think she's been through so much shit. And I think she just comes out swinging and prevailing every time. And I just really love that. I think she was one of the most impactful characters to read. There was a lot about her that there's a lot of symbolism in, but there's a lot of good things like... Alex had mentioned uh, briefly her her teddy bear, and I loved the parts with her teddy bear. Teddy bear's name is Two Shoes because Jackie, her her oldest sister, had a teddy bear that had only had one shoe. So when she got her teddy bear, um, it had two shoes, so it was named Two Shoes. Uh, but what I really loved was there was a scene when she's younger and she's on this island of Alcatraz and she's talking to her teddy bear and she's 11 years old and she's think she knows she's too old to be having teddy bears and she ends up leaving him on a rock, which I felt bad for him. But it was awesome because she was actually talking to her teddy bear or at least her mom was talking through the teddy bear, all the stories her mom had told. And it was just interesting to learn who knew that you could learn something from having this interaction with a teddy bear about Teddy Roosevelt? I was disturbed by Teddy yeah. Roosevelt's story. Mm -hmm. The fact that we all know that teddy bears come from Teddy Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt allegedly uh, spared a bear's life because he felt sorry for it. It was starving or whatever the case may be. And then you find out later that he did kill it anyway. He just did it mercifully. And um, this is what the teddy bear tells you about the teddy bear's struggles. And it was just interesting because, you know, you're, you're, this whole entire book is filled with characters, filled with struggles of a whole people. It's reflected through this teddy bear, even though it's not about teddy bear problems, you know, it's still reflected in it. And I just thought that that was a really interesting way to write that. 
Um, and I like I enjoyed that scene. And yeah. then uh, as far as Alex did allude also to and we'll get more into it later, but she alluded to the fact that she is superstitious. There's two things in particular, but one thing with Opal there. First of all, her name is Opal. It's a stone. It's a rock. She, it's tough. So she's tough. She lives up to her name. The fact that her name is Bear Shield, I love how she questions things because she doesn't really know her heritage. She doesn't really know her culture and history as much as she wishes she could. Uh, so she speculates as to what you know what her names could have could have meant, and I really liked that. But as far as the superstition goes, she is fixated. She has she has spoons, right? Doesn't she have like lucky spoons or something? I don't remember if it was spoons, but. Yeah, she she has a lot of superstitions. Yes. I know there was something specific where she delivers the mail in a specific way because if she doesn't, she feels like then the universe yeah. will be out of balance, stuff like that. She's super superstitious. Uh, but the most important superstition that she has it revolves around sixes and eights. And what I, I will get into the sixes and eights a little bit more deeply later because I think this whole book revolves around the numbers as well. Because there's people named one name, uh, person named Sixto. There's a Octavio. There's sixes and eights everywhere. Uh, and then we're going to talk about spiders, which have eight legs. But as far as the sixes and eights go with with Opal, it's very important because she's superstitious about these numbers, and then they come into play at the very end of this book. Her door swings eight times, so we have to figure out. It's kind of left for us as a clue to figure out if the, if the person that it's swinging about is going to make you know make it or not. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but. I just wanted to throw that out there because I thought that that was super interesting and it does come into play later in the novel. Yeah. Also, she is like, you know, the uh, substitute grandma for um, her sister's grandkids. And, uh, you know, she takes on this role without question, even when her sister isn't involved in their lives as much as she would like. She always keeps persisting, sending pictures and making sure that, you know, she sees the kids growing up. It's sad, uh, but these it, these situations really do happen. and. You know, Opal is a badass that literally takes on this role and becomes their actual acting grandmother. Um, and it was interesting to see that. All right. So next up, we have Edwin Black, who is a young man. I believe he's supposed to be in his maybe mid-20s, somewhere around there. But he is unemployed. He does have a master's degree in comparative literature. He wants to write a book, but he's struggling to find an idea for his book. He's struggling with constipation. Uh, results of his very poor diet he is very overweight and he is just in my opinion one of the saddest people to read about he just seemed very fragile and sad he does want to learn more about his culture he recently found out who his dad was so he reaches out to him his dad is harvey so mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on him as a character and his storyline in the book just to backtrack a little bit, uh, when Opal and uh, Jackie are on this island, Al Alcatraz, uh, Jackie has a situation with Harvey, this kid Harvey, who basically rapes her. And now we find out through Edwin that apparently he was doing this with other women as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Edwin, uh, he knows that his dad's name is Harvey. He knows some details from his mother, but he doesn't know everything. And he reaches out through Facebook, pretending to be his mom. And that jerk actually replies and says, oh, what a wild night or something disgusting. And then he says, oh, I'll be in Oakland soon. In other words, like, what do you want to like get together? You know, and he's like, oh, by the way, this is actually your son. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. thought that was interesting. But Edwin, like Alex said, is is a very sad character. You know, he is engulfed by technology. He is so disconnected with 
his culture and everything that he wants to know because he hasn't had his dad there to help fill in some gaps. So he invents another reality through the internet. Um, when he goes there, it's like an escape, you know, from his reality. He could be someone else. Um, he explains that, that he could look different. He could be different. He could know things that he doesn't know in real life or be more motivated, motivated or something like that. Um, so his, his escape is technology. And he even says something, a uh, quote, sometimes the internet can think with you or even for you, lead you in mysterious ways to information you need and would never have thought to think of or research on your own. So he basically says like, he's so dependent on technology and that without it, he would have absolutely no way to reconnect with him, his culture or his history. Um, so through technology, he finds uh, some kind of balance, but also a comfort. And then I think the constipation thing symbolizes the fact that he feels like he can't go forward. He can't push through. He feels stuck. It's sad. But in the end, he does, through his mom, who has a job at the Indian Center, he does get out of the house and he connects with another character that we're going to bring up who actually is also connected in more ways than he knows with him. It's weird. Um, but just one little thing that I thought was hysterical, believe it or not, in a sea of sad. The guy, he when he's looking up uh, things like, you know how everyone, we always look up symptoms and stuff when we feel things. And of course, Google always tells us we're dying. So don't do that. <laughs> uh, but he looks up uh, a forum about constipation and there's somebody named Def Defecate Moss. And I thought that that was hysterical. Defecate Moss. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was like, I actually laughed out loud. I was like, stop. <laughs> uh, but um but yeah anyway he does learn through the facebook uh, messenger that his dad will be an mc at the upcoming powwow and obviously that makes him want to go and he does tell him he's his son and he hopes to connect with him so yeah i really i like i said i liked all of these characters so i liked edwin i felt bad for edwin he just seemed kind of lost but i did like his journey in the novel of trying to connect with his culture i liked that one of the first questions he asked Harvey when he found out that he was his dad was, hey, which tribe are we a part of? Where where does our ancestry come from? Because people always ask me and I don't know because my mom doesn't know and I don't have any other connection to my culture than through you. So I really, I liked this sense throughout the novel with all the characters of trying to find a place to belong, trying to find a place within their culture. I liked that he decided to get involved with the powwow to the point where he's sitting alongside Blue and, you know, kind of guarding the the prize money, which is gift cards. And he's he's getting involved because throughout the novel, it's also pretty clear that he's very awkward. He doesn't have a lot of confidence. He has difficulty making connections. So it was nice to see that happening for him. I also really liked this kind of, they. so he does, we'll, we'll talk about Blue later, but he does end up meeting this girl blue turns out blue is actually harvey's daughter as well so it was just kind of funny while reading kind of knowing that these two characters were connected but they didn't know it yet so it was just interesting to see how by returning to his roots returning to his past and his history he was able to find a connection that he didn't even know existed so i really enjoyed his journey and i think that his is one that will be potentially happier moving forward knowing that he now has something to look forward to in the sense of a connection and a familial bond. So I really liked that aspect in this novel with his character specifically. I just wanted to say one last quick thing. But in the end, on the day he meets his dad, it also may potentially be the day he dies. Um, things go wrong. 
And I think that that ending being left ambiguous is a interesting on its own. But the fact that I think it might allude to a symbolic um, or symbolism of, you know, dying to meet somebody you, you've always wanted to meet your dad you're dying to meet him right so it's like some some symbolism of that all right so now we're going to talk about jackie redfeather jackie redfeather is opal's sister she was raped by harvey she did have a daughter that she gave up we find out later that that's blue and she's had a really hard life some struggles you know she was 17 when she gave birth and she gave up her daughter in a closed adoption she never stopped thinking about her of course but she knew that she wouldn't be able to provide for her uh, she did get into issues with drugs and she had alcohol issues. Um, so obviously substance abuse issues. And she had another daughter who had three sons and then she does die. And the sons are the ones that are left with Opal, her sister. She falls out of touch with her sister for some years, but she starts getting back into touch with her. And there's just a lot of layers with, with her. Uh, but one thing in particular I wanted to mention is there was some kind of superstition, a strong one with their mother. Um, with Jackie and Opal's mom about spiders. And she finds out that one of her grandsons actually has spider legs inside of him, like in his leg. And it's a superstition. It, it means something as bad is coming or something. Uh, and the mother always had told them that it's it means like spiders uh, are, represent like home and trap. And that's why they were always moving around a lot when they were younger. She never wanted to feel trapped. And that's why she never felt like she kind of had a home, um, except with her daughters. So it was very interesting to read about Jackie. You read a lot of different moments about Jackie in her life. She ends up going to rehab at one point and running into Harvey after so many years. Um, and then they come together and connect. And he says, hey, I'm going I'm going back to Oakland and I'm going to go to the powwow. You want to come? And she does want to reconnect with her grandsons and her sister. So she does go along with him. And how ironic is that? So I'm sure there's a lot of things you want to say about Jackie. Yeah, I've, I've really, really enjoyed Jackie's chapters. And I don't know why I just really connected with her. And I just really enjoyed reading her her perspective. That's why she and Opal, you know, I'd consider them my favorites. I just was really, really engaged with them. And I just really connected to them. The whole spider thing, I did just want to say since you brought it up. At first, I was so confused by this, because I was like, is this like, is it just it, like, is it really spider legs or is this just like something they call it? And it was real spider legs. And I was like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I know. New fear unlocked for me. Yeah. I hate spiders. If I ever woke up with a spider leg in my leg, I don't know what I would do. I'd have to gnaw it off. And why Why just the legs too? I was like, where's the rest of it? I was so freaked out. And, but I thought it was funny because it, you know, when Orville finds the, the spider legs in his legs, he's telling Opal and Opal's like, what are you talking about? And then she's texting Jackie and she's like, did you ever have spider legs in your leg? And she's like, yeah, I did. And then, you know, it's just, it was funny. Yeah. Um, so I, it was just, it was a little confusing to me at first, but then, you know, I got it, but it was just, I, I was grossed out by it. The whole, yeah. it, still, it still gives me like the EBGBs. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to know if this is like some kind of native superstition of some sort. And that's why Orange threw it in there. I'd actually have to look that up and say, I'm, I'm not sure because I've never heard of that before that spider legs can be in your body yeah Where's the mean, rest of the spider i don't know that was my question the whole time i was like why is it just the legs <laughs> i put in my notes i was like where's the rest of it because i mean yeah. i have heard of bugs that will burrow into your skin and uh. stuff like that it's really disgusting i know but i was like is that what happened it went into them and then it just left its legs behind <laughs> like what happened anyway that was just a little side note because uh, since you brought it up and it was something that I was just baffled by in the book. <laughs> it really oh. stuck with me too. <laughs> so I just 
typed in Google spider legs are under skin and it comes up immediately. Goodreads. What are the spiders in Opal's legs? <laughs> so Opal had them too in her legs. Yeah, she does mention actually that she had them, I think, when they were at Alcatraz, but something along those lines. I but... don't know. I'm going to have to go into more depth and read this and then let you know. But okay. Interesting. But I, <laughs> I, re I really liked Jackie's character. She was definitely tough. She was she was a really badass, in my opinion. She did have a lot of struggle in her life. She had a lot of bad things that happened to her. She did end up struggling with alcohol addiction. However, I really liked in the novel that not only has she tried to find recovery, it's a little wishy-washy and she still has a lot of urges, but she uses swimming to combat that, which I thought was really cool. First of all, I like the the symbolism of the water to show this fluctuation in Jackie because I think that she is somebody that has has had a lot of fluctuation in her life and in her character. But to use exercise to combat substance abuse uh, cravings is really effective. And I just thought it was an interesting thing to include. I also really like the fact that she is now a substance abuse counselor for Native Americans. And even though she still has her struggles with addiction, it was nice to see her trying to help her community. I liked that when she was struggling, she said, hey, I'm going to go to these AA meetings. And like, like you mentioned, she ends up seeing Harvey again for the first time since he had raped her. They ended up conceiving a child together that she gave up for adoption. And I liked that she so when she's at this AA meeting, she's giving her story about her addiction and she says how it started when she was raped by a man when she was young that resulted in a child and she just stares him down the whole time. Mm -hmm. And she makes a point to say that he's kind of squirming in his seat. She knows that he knows who she is. I really liked it. It was just yeah, to it me, was satisfactory. Like a satisfaction, like I felt from it. It, it was, was just squirming. so yeah, it was just so powerful. I was like, she is badass. Like, good for her. You know, I, I liked that we had somebody that was confronting the situation and not getting scared or running away or something like that. I liked that she was facing it head on and barreling forward. I also I mean, you can have your thoughts about Harvey, regardless of him as a person. I liked that they were able to find forgiveness. Like she was able to forgive him eventually, which brought peace in herself. So it's not going to erase anything that had happened. It's not going to take anything away. It's not going to necessarily make her happy and not want to drink anymore, but it it gives her peace. And I really liked that that character arc for Jackie. I thought it was really powerful. I liked that she was able to reunite with her family by the end. However, it was amidst a tragedy and that was really sad, but I still liked how she continued to move forward. Once again, she wasn't running away. She wasn't trying to hide. She wasn't trying to escape with alcohol. She was saying, no, it's time. I'm going to face this head on. And I just really enjoyed all of that. And yeah. the other thing I, I liked too, you mentioned how Harvey was saying, hey, drive with me to Oakland to the powwow. I liked how initially she was like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, absolutely not. Like, get away from me. And then after considering it and thinking about her family and wanting to reconnect with them, she actually agrees. But then the whole ride, she barely talks to him, even though he's like, you know, telling her all this stuff. And I just I just really enjoyed it. I just I, I just found her very badass she's mm -hmm. a character i want to read about and I, I she just was so strong to me and i just really i just really liked her character yeah yeah and i love the scene too it's like a, a small minor thing but 
she's in like a hotel or whatever and uh, there's a mini fridge and yeah it has alcohol in it so she just literally unplugs the damn thing and that's really the whole way and i was like yeah girl and then she starts throwing the bottles into the pool or something like that too it's like she's hilarious yeah, yeah I, I love her i think she's she's a great character yeah all right so next up we have bill davis who i actually really enjoyed him too there was something about him he's that an ang- he's an angry, disgruntled old man. Yes, he he reminded me a little bit of Tarn, where he was like, "Oh, yeah. these these young kids and their technology, you know." Yes, but yes. he but he's also you know kind of a badass in maybe not such a fun way, but he he's somebody that as a younger man he ended up going to prison he stabbed somebody he says it was out of self-defense however it's insinuated that maybe it was maybe it wasn't it's kind of unclear he was drinking a lot at the time he ends up going to prison he learns more about his heritage he starts reading books and he gets sober and he comes out of prison kind of a changed man he's also a veteran of the vietnam war and he ends up forming a very nice, I thought, relationship with Karen, who is Edwin's mother. And I thought that their relationship was sweet. I actually really liked his relationship with Edwin, even though he seems kind of like, oh, you got to grow up. Come on. Your mom needs to stop coddling you. You need to get off your phone and off the computer. But at the end of the day, he's always there for him. And I just loved that sentiment. I found his story so tragic because he was somebody that I felt had really achieved happiness in this book. I think he was one of the few characters who had. He was living a life that he really felt content with. He had a a loving relationship. He cared about this boy, Edwin, despite having differences in, you know, how he thinks people should behave. But he ends up dying tragically as a result of the violence that breaks out at the powwow. And reading that chapter at the end, I mean, I cried. I just felt so sad. Yeah. And it's just, I just really enjoyed his character arc. I enjoyed his story. He's another one that I just, I really enjoyed his point of view while I was reading it. Yeah. And there's a, it's mentioned too. First of all, I love when he was like complaining about kids these days. Yeah. (laughs) I was chuckling. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting too, because while he's complaining, he's, he works at um, like a baseball, like a stadium. And he's on the field and he's cleaning up and doing what he needs to do there. And then a drone appears Mm -hmm. and it happens to be flying from kids these days, literally one of these like techie kids that we'll talk about soon. And uh, he's like swatting at this thing. Yeah, he he, hits it with his like garbage thing, his garbage grammar. (laughs) It was such a fun scene to read. But also I think that's symbolic too of like an older man rejecting technology. Like mm. kids are very open to technology and an old and an older man is like, get out of here, tech. Let me yeah. bash her a little bit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I liked that. I liked that how that came together. But that scene was fun to read. Yeah, he was he was whipping at that thing. Yeah, he was just funny. He was just yeah. fun. He was a fun character to read. And I did. I got very emotional. But let's get into Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson is another sad soul. He might be the saddest yeah. soul in this book. There's so many of them that were so sad. It's hard. I, he's definitely up there. I agree with you. Yeah. Calvin, uh, right now, he is kind of hiding out in his sister's house. Um, he has issues with uh, some other characters we're going to talk about. Um, he's basically in with the wrong crowd. You know, he is related to people who are in on the wrong cr- wrong uh, crowd. But that's kind of why he's not dead. <laughs> he's safe, I guess, for the time being. Uh, but he does get pulled into this situation where he has to go to the powwow and ironically steal money from his own community. You know, he ends up at this place when there's so much trauma and destruction going on. Um, and he does die. 
uh, he does lose his life. What, what were your thoughts on him and his situation? I just, I felt bad for him. I felt bad, bad for Calvin as well. So you can tell that Calvin wants to be a good person. He wants to do the right thing. He currently lives with his, I think, sister and her daughter and his niece, but his twin brother, Charles, is very enmeshed in the drug trade and just in general, this life of crime. So he gets him involved. And at some point prior to the novel beginning, Calvin had been robbed of a, a good amount of drugs. I want to say it was like a pound. I can't remember the exact measurement. It's not really that important. All we know is that he owes a significant amount of money to the drug supplier, who is this character, Octavio, that we'll be talking about shortly. And he actually believes, he's pretty convinced that it was Octavio's people that set him up for this robbery and is now, he now he's in debt to him. He owes him a significant amount of money. Octavio keeps coming around, kind of threatening him about it and saying, you need to get this money. And this is what results in this plan to then go and rob this powwow. And Calvin does feel conflicted about it. However, he knows for his own safety, he kind of has to go along with it. It was really sad at the end, mostly because he was just kind of standing there. He didn't really know what to do. He's watching his brother get shot at and then you know eventually he just he gets shot multiple times he ends up dying it was very sad okay. and i don't know if he was the saddest character he was maybe one of the more tragic characters i i, I that's how i would categorize calvin uh well was he the one that i think it was him um he went somewhere and he saw a little boy on a bike and he he wanted to tell the little boy not to get into what he got into yeah like he kind of saw himself his younger self in the little kid on the bike and wanted to be like don't get into this field don't go into the you know uh, yeah. mix up with the wrong people but he didn't say anything because he didn't know what to say and i just thought even that was impactful yeah because uh, it, it just showed that he he didn't he was unhappy with the, the life that he ended up with but at the same time he, he was kind of beyond his control that he ended up there yeah just sad all right so then next up we have orville Redfeather. So this is a teen boy. He is the oldest of Jackie's grandchildren who is being raised by Opal. And he, so as I mentioned earlier, when we were discussing Opal, she doesn't want her grand quote unquote grandchildren to be connected to their native history. She thinks it's a mistake for them to be super connected to their history and their heritage. However, he has a strong pull towards it. He wants to know more about who he is and where he comes from and who his people are. And I thought he was such a sweet character. He, to me, he was so wholesome. So he's, yeah. he's going on YouTube and he's learning how to do this native dance and he's learning it. And he's, he found some regalia in his uh, Aunt Opal's closet. He puts it on and then he signs up to dance at the powwow and his brothers come along with him. And it was just a really sweet moment to see him going through all of this and then being so happy and being able to put his emotion and joy into this dance only to have that then be torn away from him as he is struck by a stray bullet this devastated me i was like devastated you? i was like tommy orange i can't handle this <laughs> emotionally because it was just such a sad character arc and by the end of the novel it's left pretty unclear whether he's going to come out of this or not and we can get into our you know, theories on that a little bit later. But I mean, 
this just emotionally devastated me. I, I just was, I was crying. I felt so upset about this. And then you see Jackie, everybody's trying to say like, no, get out of the way. Everybody's trying to find Orville. He's not answering his phone. Everybody's in chaos. And she just, she runs until she finds him and she grabs him and she's screaming for help. And then Harvey, Opal, the two younger boys, Luther and Lonnie, they grab him, they get him to the hospital. It's just a very emotional and very impactful set of scenes. And I mean, it just destroyed me. How did yeah. you feel about it? I was absolutely broken. I mean, yeah. when I was reading that, even again, but when I was reading it for the first time, I mean, I'm not going to say much about Tommy Orange's writing because we're going to get there, but I just want to say in these particular scenes, they're like one page each each character. And it was so impactful to read because it was like you're actually seeing the scene unfold in so many different eyes and it was just good. Masterful. But, masterful. But um, I will say that to go back really quickly, like, you know, how his grandmother wanted to keep him from his culture and keep him from all this information. It's very realistic to bilingual families, especially because they they won't they'll hold back teaching them the language because they want them to be so assimilated into society and not have any issues like they had endured as children or whatever the case may be. And you see that here. You see that with Opal trying to thinking she's doing the right thing. But meanwhile, you know, he wants to he wants to know who he is. He wants to know his culture. And and then he he does and he goes out of his way to, to, do, to do this. And then it, it just turns out tragic for him. And I just can't. And I feel like that maybe is symbolic of, you know, you want to know the truth. And then when you find out the truth, it's just so devastating. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're like, you know, ignorance is bliss in the end, maybe sometimes. And I think that's kind of what Orange was doing here. But this character destroyed me. Uh, reading this part, even rereading it for this, you know, for this episode, I was I was crying, bawling. I was like, not not the kid. Come on. It has to be the kid, especially that he's so happy. He was so yeah. happy to frickin be there. Yeah, um, it was heartbreaking. And I think that him being shot and the ending scene with him, you know, his family being in the hospital and hoping that he's going to survive this and Opal with her superstition. And all of a sudden, like I had mentioned earlier, you know, the door swings eight times. What does that mean? Either that's her bad number or her good number. She's superstitious. And all of a sudden, the doctor comes out to tell her if he's okay. And we don't know if he's okay. It's not told to us. We have to assume we have to figure it out for ourselves. So it, it, it just all of that was very impactful to read. And I think that that probably had the most devastating impact on me as a reader. All right. So that brings us to the head honcho, Octavio. We get introduced to him. He's like the main drug dealer guy in the very, very beginning that Tony Loman goes to see. But what's interesting is he's not just a gangster. You know, he he's a person. Uh, he's he's a son. He's a grandson. You know, it, I love how Orange shows us all the sides of him. Um, and I just thought it was interesting to see his culture through his grandmother. Um, you know, how she's kind of trying to protect him and she does all these. Ritual. <laughs> it finally came to me. What's very interesting about him, A, number one, I told you we have sixes and eights throughout this book, right? His name is Octavio. That's eight. Then he has an uncle, and his uncle's name is Sixto. Come on. So his uncle has a six in it. So that just, you know, comes back with all of these uh, number symbolism going on here. It's just interesting. He he kind of, you know, he looks up to his uncle, and then his uncle passes, I believe, um, drunk driving accident right but right. yeah he was drunk driving and it resulted in the death of octavio's mother and his cousin manny yeah and it, it's left him devastated uh obviously it really messed him up because he really looked up to his uncle i believe so 
it's interesting too because he's the one that really brings all this violence to the powwow and i think there's a deeper meaning as to why but what what did you think of his character and and all of that i wanted to hate octavio i wanted to hate him so much (laughs) because it's implied earlier through some other perspectives that he's not really a good guy he is the drug supplier he's the one that calvin owes money to and he's threatening him and he's just he's not really a good guy he's Mm -hmm. he's not and yet we see shades of good in him so one thing in particular that really stood out to me was in addition to his love for his grandmother he also feels super protective over his cousin danny daniel and i thought that that was really sweet he even makes it a point to tell him that he's not allowed to come to the powwow he knows what is going to be in store at this place and he doesn't want his cousin there he lets him see everything with his drone but he won't let him go and that just had that made me have a soft spot for him and in addition to that we also, I thought that Sixto was his dad. So when I was reading it, that's the perspective I was reading it from. But either way, after he finds out that they've all been killed, his mother and his cousin, and then he, his grandmother tells him, don't you dare go over there and kill him. And he does anyway. He has the intention of going over there to kill his uncle because of what he did. And yet he ends up sitting down with him. They drink together and he can see that he's actually very remorseful over what happened. And so... He decides not to kill him. And I I don't know. I just, to me, I I couldn't hate him after all of that because there were shades of good in him. I'm not saying he's a good person. He's not. But that that's just how I felt about him overall. I did feel that there is this theme throughout the novel of this generational trauma and the things that come down from generation to generation and sometimes getting enmeshed in a criminal lifestyle can be a part of that. And I think that was part of what happened with Octavio. And in terms of his character arc, he does end up being killed by his friends at the end. So Charles and Carlos, who were very close, this is Calvin's twin brother and then who's Charles and then Charles's very best friend Carlos I think at one point Calvin calls them Charlos or something because they're so close anyway the three of them were working to rob the powwow and once he gets the safe with the gift cards in it they turn their guns on him and they kill him and I just thought that that was tragic he's not a good person but it was still sad and it's always kind of sad to read about a betrayal but impactful and and just a good set of chapters to read yeah he was a powerfully written character and i feel like he was important for the story too rather than just be like oh there's this drug dealer that goes and kills people you know you know everybody that was involved in this um and i think that makes it so much more impactful and emotionally impactful when you're reading later on because now you got to know the bad guy <laughs> and yeah. is he 100 percent bad no not everybody is 100 percent. no one's 100 percent bad yeah uh, but one thing that I had um, highlighted here, I just wanted to say, there's a line that he says that I think is just so friggin' good. Um, it's just a quick line in his dialogue, but he says, and I think it sums up a lot, but he goes, so we all fuck up. It's how we come back from it that matters. And I just think that that defines him. You know, he he fucked yeah. up. He fucks up a lot. He is a fuck up. But in the end, if you come back from it, like his uncle, his uncle came back from it remorseful. He's going to make a change. So I think that's what it's all about. Sadly, it doesn't happen for him. He could have redeemed himself and not went, but he didn't. No. For he, was gift pretty, cards. he was pretty committed to the criminal lifestyle, the gangster lifestyle. 
yeah, basically, we did allude to his uh, his cousin Daniel, who he always looks out for. Uh, his cousin Daniel is a very smart kid, very technological savvy. And he's the one that was flying the drone earlier that Bill saw and swatted. <laughs> and as far as Daniel goes, he's very important. He's a key component to this story because he's the one that creates the 3D gun. He uses a 3D printer, which I still find amazing. I'm an old yeah. lady, but three <laughs> printing out a 3D gun is just friggin' wild Crazy. to me. Yeah. I can't even put my wrap my brain around that. So he prints out a gun, but for some reason they can't print out bullets. Uh, but he is responsible for printing out these guns that are provided that shoot the bullets and and kill all these people. He doesn't know that the kid. I mean, common sense, guns aren't good. You don't make them <laughs> and expect a good outcome. Uh, but he does so. He gets some money from it. He's just a kid, you know, and with that money, he buys himself a drone. Um, and then he actually does view the the powwow through the eyes of this drone. And he sees his, you know, his cousin die. Uh, and I think it's very symbolic too the fact that it's not a black gun. It's a white gun. Usually guns are, you know, black or silver or something. Yeah. Um, but this one happens to be a white gun. And I think that that is no accident. I think that's very symbolic. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. So I I liked his character. He wasn't one of my favorites, but I liked him. I did really like that during the scene where he's flying the drone over the powwow and he's seeing Octavio being shot at, he does actually use the drone to fight them. I, I can't remember which perspective it was. It might have been Calvin's where he says he sees the drone kind of hitting either Carlos or Charles. And I just thought that that was cute that he was trying to help from, you know, far away, but also how devastating that must have been. He is a very brilliant young man and he was able to 3D print these guns and his cousin Octavio was able to exploit that and said, hey, I'll give you, I think it was three or $5,000, something along those lines to make this many guns for me. And then he promises him like, oh, no, I won't be using them, you know, at the the powwow. And Daniel keeps thinking to himself, I really hope they don't use these guns. And yet in the back of his mind, he's like, but why did they need them in the first place? Which is a great question to be asking. I definitely think the guns being white was symbolic. To me, that was representative of the idea of white oppression and the killing of Native Americans by the white man. In addition to that, I also think the fact that these guns were being wielded by natives to strike down other natives is symbolic of this idea of complicity in history and in modern day in terms of destroying culture and allowing culture to die. And I really, I, I found it very impactful. I don't think it was really subtle, but I do think it was impactful. And it, it was just, I, I liked the idea that because these guns were 3D printed, they're not really like traditional guns. And at one point, I believe it was Tony's character is saying that he was shooting and he could feel the gun burning so hot because the plastic was burning in his hands from firing the bullets. And I thought that that was interesting. The idea that the violence was then kind of destroying the weapon. I don't know. To me, I thought it was an interesting little thing that Tommy Orange just threw in there. The idea that Tony was having this change of heart and at the same time, the gun was kind of like melting in his hand. So I thought that that was interesting. 
Yeah, I loved reading that. I thought that was so different and interesting also. Yeah. Uh, and it was definitely impactful. And like you said, it, it's of course, it's it, it's not um, hidden in any way. It's not subtle. <laughs> it's very symbolic. The whole white gun thing is symbolic of continuing the vicious cycle. You know, they're they're doing this crime to each other and they're just they're continuing this colonization, this cycle that has torn apart their culture, torn apart their history and families. And I think that it's purposefully was put in there. Also, the fact that the gun doesn't go through the, the metal detector um, and that's why it had to be printed in the first place. But, you know, I was conflicted about the he's just a kid. Octavio is trying to protect him, but you're making him make guns. So, you know, that upset me, too. You know, you know what they're going to be used for. He was hoping not to use them. But, of course, they were used and they were used easily, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, well, he, far- he made one initially without Octavio asking him to. And he showed it to him. And Octo- Octavio was like, wow, this is great. And I'll give yeah. you money if you make more of them. Yeah. So and- he was he was already making it. Yeah. without that influence i, I th- that's what i was going to say too i, I think he, the influence was because he loved his cousin so much and he looked up to him he wasn't really thinking because he's so young he yeah. wasn't thinking about what his cousin really does that's impactful negatively so i think that he just looked up to him then he got a taste of you know getting money for doing things and he, he you know um he was able to buy himself this really expensive tech toy basically and in the end he he was distant from his mom you know he kept ignoring his mother she kept trying to be with him and you know come have dinner with me and he didn't want to and then in the end after seeing his uh, his cousin die so tragically i think it helped turn him around hopefully in the future to reconnect with his mom because he does go and hang out with her after that and he's so traumatized well yeah up until that point so the i i forgot to mention this i did find the relationship with his mom interesting Mm -hmm. so he explains that after the death of his brother, who was Manny, he's the one that was killed in the car accident, or at least I believe that's the case. Yes. Yeah. Um, his mom became very distant. She never really got over that. She didn't really interact with anyone. She was very isolative. She didn't really give Danny Daniel a lot of attention. And then he ends up giving her, I think, $3,000. He leaves $3,000 in an envelope for her the way that his brother used to do. So his brother was involved in the drug trade with Octavio and he used to bring home money and support the family. After his death, that was no longer happening. So she thinks he's alive. After he sells the guns to Octavio, he leaves this money for his mom. And now all of a sudden she's in better spirits. She's asking him to come down to dinner. And right. I, I found that interesting. I, I think that that contributes to this idea of complicity in the sense of the the criminal world so we don't want our children to be criminals yet we're going to reward them when they're doing criminal activities by giving them attention because now oh well i'm i'm benefiting from it i'm getting money from it to me this was really cold and i i just thought it was an interesting dynamic and you can kind of see that daniel doesn't really come from a great family Mm-mm. And this is also symbolic of like rewards, you know, because he was getting paid for doing bad things and then he was buying himself techie toys. She's getting paid for bad things. And it's all about like an, a, re- a reward system of com- being complicit and complying with this vicious cycle and basically yeah. sitting there and being like, OK, well, you know, this sucks, but at least we get this, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that it's right. And I'm not saying but this is sadly symbolic of some things that go on post-colonization so all right so our next character that we have is blue who is the daughter of jackie and harvey 
this is the daughter that Jackie conceived after she was raped by Harvey. She gave her up for adoption. She ended up being adopted by a wealthy white family and grew up kind of with this idea of perceiving herself as white, not really understanding her culture, where she came from. Her original name, I believe, was Crystal. However, as she gets older, she learns how to reconnect with her her heritage. She moves to Oklahoma, ends up marrying a man who is abusive, is able to escape from that marriage, thankfully, and then ends up being one of the organizers for the powwow, where she's then united with Edwin, who she later finds out is actually her half-brother, also the son of Harvey. And I I liked her character. I thought she was I thought she was cute. I I didn't really have strong feelings about her, but I liked her and I was happy to see her getting out of the abusive relationship. I think this cycle for Blue was representative in the novel, once again, of this cycle of violence from generational trauma. Her mother was a victim. She was the product of a terrible crime, a rape. And she ends up as an adult without even knowing who her real mother is and ending up in the same situation as she tries to reconnect to her culture, but then being able to get out of it and move forward, just like her mom. So I really liked her her character arc, but I didn't have strong feelings about her one way or the other. I just thought she was a good character, like they were all very good characters. And I liked how she was struggling with this idea of reuniting with her mother at the end of the book. She she recognized her, but she was scared, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that. I liked the conflicts that she had internally about meeting her birth mother for the first time. After they brought Orville and Edwin to the hospital, she sees Harvey with Jackie and she suspects that that's also her father. And it's just, once again, this journey of self-identity connecting with your history, connecting with your heritage, and also learning who you are by looking at the past. So I think that that whole cycle was interesting. And I think once again, for Blue, it's something that I'm hoping is going to be better for her moving forward. Yeah. I was proud of her for leaving Paul. He seemed like the mega douchebag. He was abusive to her and she would have been afraid to leave him, but she becomes a badass because she is the daughter of a badass. She is a you know, for lack of a better word, uh, not a branch of, but like a feather of of her mom. And I loved that she was reluctant. She knew that that was her mother. She tells Edwin, I think that's my mom, you know? And he's mm-hmm. like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, and she's reluctant to just go approach her. I mean, that makes sense. That's realistic. You know, she's, yeah. she never knew her before and she gave her up. And I'm sure she has all these questions and feelings about that. And it's got to be hard. So I really liked that scene. I I really enjoyed the scene. It's it's small, but when she's going on a bus to try and get you know get away and go to Oakland and get away from Paul, she's in the bathroom with this woman and this older woman's in there, and he comes looking for her and she hides in the stall and you know he goes in there and he's like blue, and the woman knows she's in there, but she goes I'm you know older lady. She's like I'm alone in here. She's like there's no one else in here, and she's like honey when's your bus? She's like I'm gonna wait with you. Yeah. I really loved that scene. Yeah. You know, I, I loved watching this um, uh, women help women and support women. And I just I, I loved that entire scene. Uh, and it was, you know, it was um on the edge of your seat because you don't want this asshole to find her. You want her to get away. And she does. And I was happy to see that. Yeah. 
And then when she was with her brother, <laughs> she picks him up in the car and he's like, coffee. And I'm like, you are our, you are related. <laughs> you know, I was like screaming at my book. I'm like, you guys, are, you're related, know each other. <laughs> and then it saddens me because they don't know each other really. And she maybe will figure it out. But if he lives, hopefully they'll be able to form a friendship. You know, they're half brother, sister. Uh, and it was it was interesting, too, because he found her attractive. I was like, no, it's just. Like yeah, that. she's like, I made it clear that I wasn't interested. <laughs> Thank God. I know. <laughs> They're freaking related. They got the same dad. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's also symbolic of the fact that, um, you know, all these people are related, not necessarily like literal, like this case, but they're related in in a sense that they're a, a people of a lost culture. And I just, um, I think that's where what Orange was trying to put in a literal sense, but also in a figurative sense. And then that brings us to the last character that we get introduced to, and his name was Thomas Frank. And Orange, interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, puts this character in second person. I just want to know how you feel about that and about Thomas. Um, Thomas is basically, uh, I think he's like an alcoholic, but he's a drummer. He works, um, he's a businessman, but he's a janitor, I believe, right? Yeah, he's a janitor in um, a business building. He's seen some crazy things, uh, and he basically goes to work drunk he gets fired and he just decides hey i'm a drummer i'm gonna go to the powwow and he just ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time basically so how did you feel about him and then also the narration change for his character in particular the narration change was fine i didn't hate it i didn't love it i didn't really it didn't impact anything for me i will say that thomas's narration was the one that i felt wasn't vital to the story he i liked his chapters but i just felt like he didn't have any connection to anybody else in the story and it was just an interesting choice i felt on tommy orange's part but i did like getting the his his story i i particularly liked his connection to music and the drumming in particular he kind of <laughs> says that the drumming to him in some ways is a spiritual experience it's like praying for him he says the same thing about alcohol which is maybe a little concerning however he does say that the drumming gives him that same feeling as the alcohol does and i thought that that was very impactful i thought it was interesting to read and i i liked his chapters i felt it was very sad but like with bill i felt that he was one of those characters that felt at peace to some regard uh in some regard at the end of the book where he kind of was like oh this happened and you know, it's it's time to go. I think he he was in a peaceful place because of his drumming. And so I didn't feel as sad, although I still think it's tragic that this man just came to this powwow to play his drums that she loves and has always loved and ends up being killed. So it was sad. It's just it didn't pack as much of an emotional punch for me because I didn't feel the connection to him because of his lack of connection to the other characters. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I wanted to say about him particularly is that Orange, I had looked this up a while ago, but Orange, uh, in an interview, chose to make his narration in second person because he wanted to um, collapse the different, um, collapse the distance um, that a reader may be tempted to feel for a wounded character if it was in first person or third person. And he felt it might be mm -hmm. more impactful that way. Um, but yeah, this guy is just another sad soul in this little universe here that um, he's invited to the powwow to play music. Um, he decides to go because he, he wants to do what he loves and then he suffers for it, which is just 
tragic and sad. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's other underlying symbolism as to that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's not really one of the characters that we get to know. It's kind of a different viewpoint for him. It's a, he's a, he's a different type of character in this book. Uh, but I guess it's just to show that it, it doesn't have to be someone that has a connection. It could be an outsider as well, as long as they're connected in some way. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So what do you think of the interlude? I love how he throws that in there. After you, you're you finally calming down after reading the prologue and then boom, here's an interlude again, too. <laughs> yeah, I liked this. I liked this a lot, actually. Well, first, just to explain, so in this interlude, we get a few different pieces of information. First, we get some information about powwows and the role that they play for Native Americans and how it's this, it, it provides this feeling of unity where Native Americans from all different tribes can gather and there's song and dance and drums and they can make crafts. I think they mentioned jewelry. And I, I, I found it interesting to learn about that especially somebody that isn't very familiar with Native American culture. It was nice to learn about that a little bit. One of the things that really stuck out to me in the interlude was when they're talking about the history of the Native Americans. And he uses an analogy about in terms of reflecting on people's histories. And you have the people that are on the ocean in their yachts, on their boats. And then you have people that are on life rafts struggling in the water, just trying to stay afloat and he he says something along the lines of these people on the yachts they they turn their noses down to the people on the rafts and say that oh well they're just lazy they're incapable and then they don't take into consideration that these yacht owners inherited these yachts from their fathers so the people on these rafts that's what they've inherited was these life rafts and they're just trying their best to try to keep it alive they're trying to keep their culture alive and keep their history from literally just sinking below the ocean and being forgotten. And I just really liked that analogy. I thought it was very impactful. It's something that's definitely going to stick with me for a long time. And I thought it was a really cool way of describing it that will help people to understand the the difference between having ancestry that has been successful and has been the victor and then having ancestry that has had to struggle for a long time or that has been victimized or oppressed. So I really enjoyed that. It also talked about the last names of Native Americans. I liked that as well. It gives you some insight into where their names come from, how they've gotten those names. Essentially, they were given to them by the military and they usually were in the form of animals or some type of description. So I, I found that interesting. And then I believe in the interlude, they also talk about the mass shootings in America, the rise of the mass shootings. And I liked the idea that we were connecting this problematic thing that's happening in America in general, and then bringing it to meshing it with this idea of the Native American struggle. And I, I just, I thought that this was a really good interlude. I thought it came at a really good point in the book. And I think it helps to explain a lot of what happens in this novel and it helps you understand the conflict that these characters have had yeah i loved this section it really like i said with the prologue reminds you that it's reality even though you're reading fiction and then when you get to the interlude you're brought back to reality again and they're like hey you know this this is what happened this is what really happens 
Um, and this is why you're reading this book. And I just, I love that. I think that it's super impactful. I think this is information that everybody should know. And I think that there, there's a lot of things that he mentions here that is very impactful. And I think you said that there's stuff that's going to stay with you. And this there is stuff in here that does stay with, with me and has stayed with me. And one in particular is the fact that there's a quote that people say or phrase all the time that blood is thicker than water. And he has a section here on blood where he talks about blood is 90% water. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he basically mentions later on that uh, the sound will break the water in our bodies. It'll tear sounds itself and rip ourselves in half. So he's basically saying like blood, water, it's all, it's all the same. He's saying that no matter what, it devastates us and, and comes from within, you know? And I just, I really liked that. I liked, like you said, how he he mentions about the last names. I think that's very interesting. And I think that it's important to learn that information. So this way you get an idea of, uh, you get idea of the history itself, not just that it exists. Um, I think that that was very important as well. And I think that these sections are very impactful. Um, He also explains what a powwow is. So you're not just reading the word powwow and not really grasping the the, uh, idea behind it and why it's so important for this community of people. Um, to get together and celebrate their heritage and to get together and actually be themselves rather than just being who society expects them to be. Um, So I really like that. And I'm going to just say again, he does start it off off with another quote. And I really like, I like my quotes. (laughs) Um, And this one is very impactful as well. And if you're not going to read the book, at least um, I'd like to read this. So this way you get some idea of what these sections mean. In this one, this is a quote from Charles uh, Baudelaire. And it says, what strange phenomena we we find in a great city. All we need to do is stroll about with our eyes open. Life swarms with innocent monsters. That's a friggin' awesome quote. And how realistic and true is that? Well-selected quote and this whole entire interlude was important and impactful. And I think the inclusion of it really makes a difference um, to the story. All right. So we've mentioned it a few times, but let's talk about the end at the powwow and the events that unfold there. So obviously we've been leading up to this, but everything, all the introduction to the characters, all of the struggles that we view for the characters, they're all ultimately leading up to being at the same powwow, whether they're interacting with each other or just going to be there in the same place, same time. Obviously, it's building up that there is going to be a robbery, which does take place, and things do go sour. Uh, These printed guns end up bullets uh, spraying everywhere, and a lot of these characters die. Actually, I think most of the characters do. Uh, So it's crazy because there are a few that are spared. Like we had mentioned, Dean Oxidine does not. um, The bullet just basically goes past him. He's part of preserving this history going forward, trying to uh, take, you know, um, native stories and, you know, spread the knowledge and actually get people informed. So because of that, I think symbolically he's spared. Um, But unfortunately, me and Alex had mentioned that Orville doesn't, you know, he's necessarily not making it or he is making it. It's left ambiguous. uh, And I think that that's very impactful. I think that, first of all, I was bawling my eyes out. So it was emotionally impactful. He's a kid. He's just a kid. And I think it just, you know, it goes to show that it affects no matter what the age group is. Generational, generation and generations are just being affected by this and the aftermath of it. And I think that it's ending the way it does where it's left ambiguous. Like, 
Edwin is also hurt. He could die or he could live. Orville could die or he could live. Um, some of them, it's c concrete that you know that they die. Some of them are left where it's it's potential that they could survive. Uh, and I think that this is it, this is left this way because Orange doesn't give us ultimate closure because his people were never given ultimate closure. So I think that that that's super impactful alone when you close the book and you think about it and you actually, you know, grasp at what he was trying to get there. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, that that's realistic. Uh, and as far as not getting all the answers go after this horrific tragedy of this powwow, um, you're left thinking, you know, these are people that this is a community and they're ended up fighting themselves. We had mentioned briefly that that's kind of like continuing this vicious cycle. You know, it's just, it's sad, but this is, this is, this, the, the whole thing was tragic. I, I was crying most of the end of this book. <laughs> so, um, how did you feel about it? And is there anything that you wanted to mention specifically, um, about the powwow? Yeah, well, I really liked the way that Orange constructed this set of chapters. You had mentioned earlier how during some of these scenes, it's a page each. It really gave you a feel for the scope of the actions that were happening. It helped you jump from perspective to perspective to see it from different points of view. I really liked that. I can see how some readers might find that unusual or it might not be for them. For me, it was really effective. I really enjoyed it. I mean as much as you can enjoy chapters about people dying, you know, but the, his, his his choice there, his literary choice there. In terms of the characters and the powwow, I just felt that it was very devastating. I think that Tommy Orange decided to do this for a few reasons. One, to show that, dis so throughout the novel, we have this cast of characters who are all trying to reconnect with their heritage, trying to find a place of belonging in their in their culture. And at the end of this book, you know, they're all at this powwow, there's dancing going on, there's drumming, everybody's having a good time, everybody is happy and has a sense, that sense of belonging. And then you see it cut short by these acts of violence. And I think that's intended to insinuate that many native americans don't have a place of belonging and when they try to find it it is taken away from them and i think with the characters that we see dying on the page some of it was very impactful and some of it was necessary so we know most of these bad doers we see tony who does end up turning the gun on his comrades in order to protect the innocent people that he sees dying around him he ends up dying. We see Octavio, Charles, Carlos, and Calvin all being killed. And then we see the innocent people being killed. We have Thomas, who was just there trying to play his drums. We have Bill, who was just there for his son. Or, no, I'm sorry, not his son, but his girlfriend's son, Edwin. And plus he worked there. It was just a very tragic set of events. And I think that it really did pack an emotional punch. And I think that was intended. In terms of the outcomes for Edwin and Orville. I don't know if they'll be okay. For me, I got a sense that Orville probably won't be. And that comes back to your idea on these eights, where eight is linked to Octavio. To me, that's bad. And the door did swing eight times. I kind of got that impression. It was very ominous. And I think Edwin might have a chance at at surviving. But that was just my impression. I don't really have any support from the novel to justify that. It's just what I think. And I believe he left it intentionally ambiguous to symbolize 
the uncertainty of the future for many Native Americans. So while there has been a lot of work done to preserve the Native American culture, I think from what I've read in this novel, I believe Tommy Orange thinks that there's still a lot more work to be done. And I think he's trying to send a message that these different tribes need to find a way to come together and also affect real lasting change for the Native American community, which is something that I don't think the characters in this novel were really able to do or did at least on the page in this novel. And I think that he wants to see that for his community. And that's why he left it ambiguous, because it's really up to them to decide where we go from here and how we're going to choose to take this past, this terrible, violent past, and make it better for, for future generations of Native Americans. Yeah, I love the way you said that. Um, and I agree with you. And I also got the same feeling just because it seems that eights in this book are negative. So for me, even though there's not 100% support, he leaves it that way on purpose. He does leave breadcrumbs throughout the whole book and all these characters that eight is, you know, not necessarily great. Um, you know, as far as the six goes, if you're going to just go to Octavio's chapter and his uncle does have a an arc where he has a redemption. He does come from, come out of it where he kills his, his, his family and he does have, um, he does walk out of it changed for the good. So I think that sixes are maybe a good thing. Whereas Octavio, he does not have that arc. He he still continues to pursue this negative lifestyle and then he dies. And I just feel like eight is a negative in this book. So I really figuring it out that way. It doesn't mean that this is correct, this answer. But it, to me, it seems that Orville's not going to make it. I hate that. But it's also maybe symbolic that these kids are all fucked up from the past and that you know it's not always a good ending it's not always a happy ending so yeah. i think that that's realistic as well and then and then another thing i wanted to say is that you know america is this big melting pot and i think orange wanted to make it clear that we're all the whole country is filled with immigrants right all of us have been immigrated here for the most part except for natives obviously and, you know, we can say, like me and Alex, we went back to Italy. We're Italian. We went back to Italy. We were able to go to the homeland, right? People like, oh, let's go back to the homeland and see, you know, where our ancestors came from. Natives can't do that. Um, and he makes it quite literal that, you know, if they wanted to go back, there is no there left there because it's it's been overwritten. And I just I think that's super sad. And I just I feel like that is an important thing impactfully when reading this you walk away with that message of realizing that shit, that there is no there for them. And I just think that that's, that's what made me um, walk away from this, how impactful his writing was. So, well, tell me what, what themes stood out most to you. So there were quite a few things that stuck out to me in this novel in terms of symbolism. We already talked about the white guns. I also felt that the drone was symbolic. So in the times when the European colonists were first coming to America and they were taking the land, technology played a role in destroying those indigenous communities. And I think that this drone was a little bit symbolic of that, how once again, tech and the guns as well, but once again, technology is being used to tear down these native communities. And also the sense of just watching it unfold versus taking action to prevent it or to intervene. So I felt that that was all symbolic in the novel. In the teddy bear two shoes. I really liked this. So to me, this represented this idea of 
you have to remember your history because this bear was always giving old bull information about a native american history and she you know she at some point she acknowledges that this was my own voice in my head i know that now it wasn't actually this teddy bear that was talking to me so when she does abandon the bear i think it's this idea of a i'm leaving my childhood behind she had acknowledged that she was i think 11 or 12 when she had the bear she says i know i'm too old to have this bear but i felt like she was clinging to her childhood clinging to history and choosing to leave it behind is this abandonment of childhood and of history and as we know as I, i've mentioned and you've mentioned she does go on later to try to abandon her history and try to separate herself from it so i felt that that was very symbolic throughout in addition to that, there were a lot of motifs in this novel. We saw the addiction play an important role with many, if not all of these characters. I, I'd say every single one of these characters was impacted by addiction, even if they weren't themselves using. And I think that that comes down to this theme of generational trauma throughout the novel. With that, there was a lot of domestic violence in this, in this book and just violence in general. But we do see the native women being victims more so than the men. And I think that that's symbolic that really any minor minority community, but in this case, the native American women, not only are they already vulnerable, but they now have to fear not just men at large, but men within their own communities. And once again, I think that comes down to the generational trauma, which I think we see play out significantly in this book. We have broken homes, which result in more broken homes. We have domestic violence being trickled down from father to son. We have addiction and we see how that impacts a community as a whole, because when you come back to that analogy of being in the water and just trying to stay afloat and try to survive, you're not moving forward. You're continuing this cycle of, well, I was traumatized and now I am going to continue that trauma to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And it makes it very mm -hmm. difficult for a community to move forward. In addition to those, I felt that there was a big theme of identity in this book and trying to connect with one's cultural identity. Every single character in this book was on a journey of self-discovery in terms of how it relates to their ancestral history. And in addition to that, this sense of community trying to find a place where they belong, trying to find a place where they can feel like themselves and feel comfortable and happy. I felt that those were very important and prevalent themes. And finally, I did want to mention, I thought that music seemed to be a somewhat of a motif or a theme throughout this book. Not only is it in the title, I also was happy about that. I'll talk about that when we get into the title. But we have the, the drumming at the powwow. We have Thomas talking specifically about how spiritual the music was for him. And then we have Orville learning the dances. And I just felt that that was an important, consistent theme throughout the novel, too, in terms of how music can bring a community, com community together. No, I couldn't have said any of that better myself. Like, I've seen all of that symbolism, those motifs, everything. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned them. And I think you're right about music, too. I think that it represents culture. Um, and I think that, you know, all of us, all of us have some kind of connection to music in some way, and it's all different meaning to all of us. So I think that that's interesting, too, because obviously it represents their culture um, and it helps bring them back to a culture that they never could really connect with. But they can through music. Uh, to go back to one of the things you had said about this um, generational trauma and how they find it hard to progress past that. He does say things in this book, Orange, in the interlude and in the prologue, in the sections where he would just want to interject like, hey, this is what you need to know, like his own 
you know, facts. I, if he wrote a history book about natives, I would 100% buy and read that book. I, going back to this, I, I feel like he does make one note of uh, discussing in the interlude about unattended wounds. And um, he says an unattended wound gets infected becomes a new kind of wound, like the history of what actually happened became a new kind of history. And I just think that that is so impactful because it makes you realize, you know, obviously uh, it's not always who loses out that writes the tales. You know, you learn history through the victors sometimes and history gets obliterated. Sometimes entire civilization's history just gets destroyed and you know nothing about them. So I just think that that is very applicable here, but it also foreshadows for me, hopefully, I cling to the hope that Edwin will be okay because his wounds don't get unattended. He does get left at the hospital to be treated. And I'm I'm hoping that maybe some, some way, somehow that foreshadows him actually coming out of this okay. Um, I, want, I want him to be okay. I just, another thing too that you had mentioned was addiction. Um, and that's very prevalent in this novel. It seems to be as a coping mechanism, obviously for this generational trauma, a lot of people have cope in different ways, but it seems that um, that is one main way that um, people will cope to, uh, as a whole. And what's sad is that they come together as a community doing that, it seems, in this book of these characters, I mean. And it's not the right way to come together. And I feel like Orange is trying to point that out specifically and say, listen, if you want to cope, let's make change and let's actually recognize the, the issues and come together, like you said. Um, another thing, too, is this message of broken promises. Um, he makes it clear, too, specifically, like from the government, not to trust certain things that you're told from higher authority figures. Uh, obviously, they don't have your best interest at heart. And that also speaks to, let's say, I don't know, England coming over here and saying, hey, we're going to be best friends. And obviously, that's not how it played out. Um, and you, you all know the rest of that story. So I think there is this impact of broken promises and what it does, you know, generations later, how people are still affected by this. And it's not even just with this one thing um, or with this one community. It's universal. And I think he wants that known as well. And then there's a lot of other things that you said about identity. I agree. There's a lot of superstition. I like I, I like how a lot of that ties maybe into the culture and the history of his people. And I really love that he included that. You could tell that he did his research hard <laughs> for this. And it, te it teaches you as a reader. I love that. I love being taught new things, especially about uh, history and things like that. Um, I think that that's important. So the last thing I'll mention is that there seems to be this overall theme of technology in the modern world being, or rather technology being a modern colonization. So technology disconnects us from nature. In Native history, they were disconnected from nature because they were forced to assimilate into like a city or to become this new way of living based off of the colony, be part of the colonization. You know what I mean? Like be a colonizer, live like a colonizer because it's quote better or whatever. Um, So they just wanted to fit in, let's just say, or they had to fit in in order to be accepted into society and assimilate. Um, And that's not just this particular, you know, not just natives. This happens to a lot of minorities as well. Um, But it happens to all of us universally also because technology takes us away from nature. You know, we're stuck in our phones half the time. There could be like, you know, asteroid coming at our faces up top and we won't even be looking in the sky because our noses will be down into our, our, our phones. So I think the whole point is, you know, we do have Bill, this old man, rejecting it because the old way of life is like nature, respect, you know, respect for like nature and, 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 and take a look around you and appreciate, you know, the sights that you see rather than, you know, keeping your nose in a, in a phone. And I, I think he makes that really clear that that his people were removed from nature, 
violently and it's happening all over again, but in a new way through technology. It's actually colonizing our minds. So I just think that that's super interesting. Very thought provoking. A lot of this is thought provoking. I'm, I'm in awe of his writing. Let's talk about. Well, speaking of which, what were your thoughts on his writing? <laughs> the man is, is a master of his craft. <laughs> I loved his writing. I, I love this book, not because it's like a feel good book or, you know, anything like that. But I love this book. I think that it's very impactful. I think it's very emotionally impactful to me as a reader. It It's very, it's filled with with knowledge and things that um, were not necessarily taught, but maybe because they wanted to shield us from, from reality. But I don't like being shielded from reality. I want real facts. And I love that he gives it to us brutally. He's very brutally honest. I love the way he structures the book. I love the parts of it, how, um, you know, he, they remain, reclaim. The powwow. I love how he tells us what a powwow is in a lot of detail. So this way we really understand what we're about to read. I love how the prologue and the interlude both really set us up for what what's ahead. And I, I just think he is, he's great. <laughs> I mean, there's these classic writers that are fantastic. And I just feel like he's there. <laughs> I'm very impressed with his writing. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, I really, really liked his writing. I agree with you. There were certain parts in this book that I felt he was really were really masterfully done. And one of those things is just being able to create 12 distinct narrations in a book that doesn't feel like they're meshing together. They all feel like their own character. That's not that's not easy to do. And he did it really really well with so much ease that even while reading this, it really made me feel like I was re reading real stories, that these were real people and they had told Tommy Orange their tales and he put them into a book. And that's what you want from an author, especially in a book like this. While there is certainly a plot in this book, it's very much a character analysis on these different Native experiences. And it was such an enjoyable read despite the heavy content, because even when I was feeling emotional, I felt just so strongly connected to the characters and to the writing. And that's really a testament to his abilities as a writer. And this is a debut novel. So, I mean, I, amazing, you know, it's just, yeah. not, it's just not easy to do. You know, anybody that criticizes his writing, you have to take into consideration most authors, they write a book with one protagonist. This man wrote a novel with 12 and each one of them felt like a real person. And that's, that's just so difficult. And mm -hmm. I loved the flow of the novel. So I wouldn't say that the ending was a surprise because he does, you get this ominous feeling throughout the novel as you're meeting these different characters, you're starting to see what role they might play. And they're talking about the guns and they're constructing this plan to, to rob the powwow. And you just know, you just have this feeling that something bad is going to happen. You know that somebody you love is probably going to end up getting killed or shot or hurt or something. And yet when it happens, you're still in shock because it's so devastating because you're watching these characters go on their journey and you're feeling love for them and then all of a sudden it's taken away and for no reason at all and it's just very tragic and i just this is what you want from an author you want to be able to feel things and i think i i wouldn't have changed anything about his writing i thought he did a great job near perfection and i don't i never say things like that <laughs> i can't find anything that i i could pick apart about him that never yeah. happens for me um and i will say i speak to exactly what alex just said feeling things yes I, I was so emotionally con connected to these to these characters. You know, I felt their pain. 
and not only their pain, but I, I started to feel like the community pain. Like, you know, you actually, you're not only learning history about this community and, and learning that they struggle and having all these issues and seeing it, you know, right in front of your face, but you're feeling it as well. And I really think that that just goes to show how impactful and amazing his writing is. Also, not only did I, I felt things at the whole, I told you the whole end of the book when they're at the powwow and that those quick like pages that you're just going through and you're just like, you couldn't put the book down at that point. I couldn't put the friggin' book down. Yeah. Um, And my hand was on my heart the whole time. My tears were rolling down my face, not to be dramatic, but literally that's what you want from a book. That's how you want to feel. Yeah, I, I, I loved his writing. Um, and I can't wait to read more from him, but I need time to prepare to read more from him because he's so deep. <laughs> I need, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, heavy, heavy, but in a good way. Let's talk because we I know we've been excited to talk about the title, too. So, um... yeah. When I first saw this book, my first thought was, oh, like the Radiohead song, you know, <laughs> but I didn't really think anything of it. I, di I didn't think it had anything to do with it. So then when I was reading and they actually say they're there by the radio by Radiohead. I was like, oh my God, that is where it came from. And I was just delighted. So I loved yeah. that. I also liked that it came down to that quote from Gertrude Stein as well. I liked that it was incorporated in the book and I liked the meaning behind it. I really liked the title. I liked it so much more after reading the book and I wouldn't have changed it. Yeah, Gertrude Stein, go feminist movement. Femi go literary <laughs> feminist movement. All right, that's all. But yeah, I agree with you. I freaking love Radiohead. I've seen them live. They were amazing. If anybody doesn't know, go listen to them right now. <laughs> but they're very good. But anyway, yeah, I loved that that, that was incorporated in the title. I loved this title, period. I, I feel like this title says so much in just two words. Um, and usually, you know, there, there means like you're comforting, comforting somebody. Like uh, it's all going to be okay. And it's not going to all be okay. And that's what he's trying to say is he wants co to comfort you by uh, making you understand. And he wants it all to be okay. He wants the progression to, to come into play and everyone to come together. Um, and it says all that in just two words. And I just think that that is great. I applaud it. I love the title. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what did you think of the cover art? Cover art is is just it's just two feathers, two faded feathers in black and white on an orange background and the letters are there there in yellow there's not a lot going on it's not very busy or anything i think it's to the point uh it doesn't tell you anything about what the book's going to be about um but it does you know give you an idea that i don't know i don't know i don't know how i i, I think that it's very simple and what's the word minimalistic very minimalistic and the book itself is not <laughs> it yeah. doesn't take away from the book no, I, I like the cover. It is minimalistic. I don't mind that. I like that it doesn't try to give anything away from the book. I think the cover just allows the the content of the book to speak for itself and it's fine. I, I have no I have no qualms with the cover. So after we've read this, can you tell or do you agree with the fact that it won the Pulitzer Prize? Yeah. Honestly, like imagine that being your debut and you win this like big prestigious award. Yeah. I mean, to have your debut novel win a Pulitzer Prize is, I mean, it's an achievement. I'm looking forward Definitely. to reading more from him for sure. All right. So usually we do, if this book could be summed up as, I think the first song that comes to mind is There, There. Yeah. That was going to be, that's the only <laughs> song. <laughs> we got to pay respects to the man. He wants us to think There, There. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> what, um, what nail color would you choose? I think I would choose a blood orange color for this for this book. Mm. Good. 
I'm going to say like a, like a really pretty brown, like a full brown, mm. um, like kind of like, like the dirt, you know what I mean? Like getting back to your roots and just, mm -hmm. I don't know, some pretty, like maybe bronzy color. How about a cocktail? So for a cocktail, I think it would be a mixed drink with maybe like whiskey and some blood orange juice. Really into this blood orange. I know. Um, I don't know why. Probably the color, color of the cover. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to pick a mocktail here because I hmm. feel like I shouldn't advocate for all the alcoholism in this book. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'll pick like a Shirley Temple because they're freaking delicious. Okay. <laughs> All right. So how about an item of clothing? I would say a Native American headdress. I was thinking the same. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. What about a meal? Meal, I'm going to say barbecued corn on the cob with a little bit of olive oil and sea salt sprinkled wow. on. Wow. Very yeah. specific. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. All right. For my meal, I keep thinking mashed potatoes. Mm, okay. I think that's just because now I'm hungry and I want mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> What about an animal? An animal, I'm going to say a buffalo or bison. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm going to say a bear just because mm. Opal has got it in her name and she's tough as shit like a bear. Yeah. And then there was two shoes. Yes, there was two <laughs> shoes. Yeah. He was spunky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now the moment of truth. Would you scoop or skip? And how many golden scoops are you going to give it? I mean, you know my answer here, man. I know. <laughs> uh, I, this is 100% a five. This is a five star for me. This was very impactful when I read it the first time. I couldn't stop thinking about it since. I don't know if I'll ever stop thinking about this book. It always comes up in my head from time to time. When I read other other authors, I'm like, nothing like Tommy Orange. <laughs> Judge those people. And then, you know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those books that's just, it's impactful as shit. And you don't forget it. And you don't forget the messages you walk away with. I would 100% scoop it. I recommend anyone that really wants a good read. It's not that long either, but the content is impactful for the the length of the book it is. I, I love that he didn't add excess in there that wasn't necessary. Uh, and definitely scoop it. I recommend to anyone. Yeah, I agree with you. This is definitely a scoop for me. I think most people should read this book. I think it is very impactful. I think it's excellently written. I can't find really any flaw with it. And I think it's important subject matter. And I think that people should be reading about it. And in terms of my golden scoops, I'm also giving it a five. I thought that this was an excellent read. It was very quick and easy to read despite the heavy content. It's, hold on. I'll say it's a quick read. I, I won't say it's an easy read. It's mm -mm. actually, it, it's very emotional and it's very heavy, but it is short, you know, in terms of full length novels go. So you can read it quickly. However, it's not something you're going to fly through because it is, it's, yeah. it's heavy. Yeah. You might, I'd actually might recommend taking mini breaks in between just to process. Yeah. That's what I did. When he gives those breaks, like the interlude and he breaks up the parts, mm -hmm. that was smart because sometimes you just need to just close the book for a second and, and walk away yeah. <laughs> and process. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah. So there you have it. There, there by Tommy Orange gets a five from both of us. Yeah. Am I, is that the first time ever? No, two crowns. Two oh, specific crowns. yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the second time. Yeah. This is the first time for a, a book of the month. Yeah, that's right. Yay. That's right. We're usually kind of conflicted about our books of the month. So we yeah. are. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, this is the first one. 
So, all right, go read it. Tommy Orange. I feel like this is something that should be in every college classroom taught. Mm. Right. I feel like everybody should be um, presenting this this book in school. Yeah, Uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. I think it's like you said, very vital content matter. So go read it. We had a good conversation. (laughs) So let's tell you what we have in store for December. Uh, We will be doing our holiday reading. You know, we will. Come on. Uh, We definitely have a little holiday list that we're going to be talking about. uh, But the set in stone ones are going to be episodes on Tis the Season for Revenge by Morgan Elizabeth. And that'll be airing on December 12th. And then our book of the month for December will be Wreck the Halls by Tessa Bailey. She's a big author that everybody seems to love. So we're going to dive into her a little bit. And that'll be on December 27th, um, which will be two days after Christmas. So we will be there for you in December. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So we're going to give you guys our holiday hopefuls. We have a list of books that we're hoping to read and we will have an episode where we review all of them at some point in December and we will announce that date in the future. So for now, let's give you those books in case you want to read along with us. So the first one is going to be The Christmas Orphans Club by Becca Freeman. Going forward, then the second book will be by Josie Silver, A Winter in New York. Then the third one is The Twelve Dates of Christmas, which I'm really excited about because there's a movie and I love it. And that is by (laughs) Jenny Bayless. Then just by the name alone, Good Elf Gone Wrong. And that's by Alina Jacobs. And that is on KU for you KU subscribers out there. Next after that, we'll have Love Light Farms, which I'm very excited about by BK Borison. The next one is called Sweethearts and Snowflakes by Amelia Westerly. That is also on KU. Next up, we'll have The Gift by Frida McFadden. That is also on KU. The next one is by Christina Lauren in A Holidays. Then we'll have Snowed In by Catherine Walsh. Uh, That one's also on KU. Then we have The Grump Who Stole Christmas by S. Doyle. Also on KU. Kindle Unlimited, by the way, if you're not sure. Sorry. Then we'll have The Christmas Lodge by Fiona Baker, which is also on KU. How to Ruin the Holidays by Becky Monson on (laughs) KU. And then we have All's Fair in Love and Christmas by Sarah Monzon. Then we have A Kilt for Christmas uh, by Trisha O'Malley, and that is on KU. And then finally, we'll have Holiday Romance, also by Catherine Walsh, and that is also on KU. Even though we'll be on a break on our podcast, we will be active on TikTok. We will have the 14 days of Christmas. That's what we're calling it. It'll be a two-week lead-up to uh, Christmas where we'll release a brief book review of each book on TikTok. We will sum them up for you here on our podcast, but we will also have little interim ones on TikTok for you guys. And we'll also be doing some TikTok lives with live book discussions. We'll be doing four books at a, at a time and we'll release the titles and dates on TikTok. So if you're not already following us, go on to TikTok, follow us and stay tuned for those dates and come and join us and have some fun with our book discussions. If you've been following along with us in this past season, you know that we love movies also. So what movies do we love more than Christmas movies? I don't know, but we love them and we know you do too. So for those of you out there who can't do Christmas reading, but know you love a Christmas movie, we will be doing a a few lives with that um, where we vote on our favorite Christmas movies, the one that you want to watch with us. And we will be featuring that movie live on TikTok. So stay tuned to that and come join us. Watch a holiday movie with us and drink some hot cacao. And then get ready for our season two. You'll be all set by the time January comes. 
everybody next for season one's final book of the month episode tessa bailey's wreck the halls airing december 27th and stay tuned for some bonus odes coming your way next month including highlights of season one holiday hopeful check-ins and tis the season for revenge by morgan elizabeth which by the way is available on kindle unlimited that episode will be airing on december 12th Yep, and make sure you tune in and get ready for our TikTok lives that will be coming at you soon. And get ready for season two coming in hot on January 9th, 2024. Hell yeah! <laughs> if you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in future discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission, so thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whichever streaming service you use. We would really appreciate it also if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about our podcast. And of course, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Yep. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we'll be doing some live events soon, and we will post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. Yeah. These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoop, that is Hitman. Ooh.